2: Oh man, it is a whole new era of the dunked on NBA basketball podcast because the NBA in its infinite wisdom, probably fair, uh, I would say this is a good change overall, but man, did they make picking all NBA a lot harder now i I don't know about you danny i we say this every year but this seemed like a different animal picking that third team all nba than i've ever experienced before
3: it definitely was different and i think that the looser structure there are no positions for all nba made made certain parts of it feel really different um I will say that for those of you who've listened a long time, my, my philosophy differences within the realms that are allowed by the NBA now for all NBA and, and MVP are going to hold a little bit. But I, I want to start briefly with, for those who are less familiar, just a short summary of what this is and what this is not. Most important thing that this awards podcast is not is predictions. This is not where will things be in April, May, and June when these awards are given out. This is not reputational. This is not anything else. This is if the season ended today for whatever reason, who would we be giving these awards to and why?
2: And that's the second important component is it's not who we think our colleagues are going to pick. It's not who we think would win MVP right now if there was uh, the normal voters voting at this exact moment. You know, this is not the Tim Bontemps straw poll, which is very valuable, but it is a different thing. And similarly, it is not a prediction of who we think our colleagues will pick at the end of the season. This is who we think is deserving. And presumably you're listening to this podcast because you want to hear what we think, not what we think other people are going to think. So that's why we do it this way. What else can we talk about here as far as our overall philosophy, since this is the first time we're doing awards this season?
3: So the NBA has put in new restrictions for many league awards in terms of games played. And the line is 65 out of 82. And so what I did was I included players who would not be eligible right now. When a player is ineligible at in actuality when they have missed 18 games then i believe you and i have agreed that we will remove them entirely just on the idea that they are mathematically ineligible thus they're not kind of worth it in the exercise and then i have included i will mention my also considers so you can theoretically slot into those spots should that be the case it's just hard because the purport the relative proportions of the season are so much smaller because you know we were only through x number of games for each one of these teams So, like, for example, Devin Booker would be ineligible if you scaled this out right now, but if he plays a reasonable portion of the rest of the season, he would be eligible. So I considered him for All-NBA, but as always, the amount you play matters a lot for MVP.
2: Yeah, and for some people for All-NBA, not for others. (laughs) But (laughs) not for me. uh, Yeah. So, So, right. Just to say it another way, we're not saying if you haven't played 65, 80 seconds of the game's. So far, you're ineligible. We're not saying that at this point. The only way we're going to make you ineligible as we go through this process, we do this every month. The only way we're going to make you ineligible is if... You have missed eighteen games, or I think you can play, you know, sixty-three games and then twenty minutes. Another two, I can't remember exactly what it is, uh, but it's it's something uh, remarkably. We'll,
3: we'll make Dan small. do that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm sure he'll he'll look forward to that. But uh, so yeah, and and of course, how much you play is gonna matter in terms of the value that you're providing on the floor. Uh, and I, I think with the ex- possibly one exception, uh, that really held uh, to be a little bit of a dividing line for me in some of these. So yeah, we're going to go through all of the official league awards. Other than Clutch Player of the Year and Most Improved, uh, most those are, are both very, very subject to, to some sample size stuff. Also, Clutch Player of the Year, I'm just not quite as interested in. It, it just came in last year. We'll do it at the end. Uh, and Most Improved, again, like so much of that is subject to shooting luck. It's just impossible to know. Like a Scotty Barnes, for example, looks to be a much improved shooter. But it's also we're talking about, especially because the season kind of started a week later this year because everything got moved up a week. Or I guess moved back a week so we're really only working with like five weeks of data here not loving uh trying to do most improved so we'll we'll do that at the end when we really get a sense of who has improved the most so
3: well and and i'll mention that we will do some of our own awards so we will we'll go to those mostly towards the end that includes sophomore of the year not executive of the year and then some other kind of bigger picture things
2: well the biggest uh, of big picture awards is the MVP of the NBA and what is your criteria for this award do you do it any any differently than maybe some people would
3: I don't think too dramatically I will say that it's you know the player who had who I think had the largest positive impact on their on their team winning that means I try to minimize benefiting or punishing players based on the quality of their replacements. That is something there have been years, like Steph Curry, for example, has been really propped up in other years because his backups have been so bad. Or or there are teams that do, you know, bench mobs or various other things there. And one other, two other things. So one is for individual dominance, I value offense more than defense with, you know, in the regular season, with some exceptions, especially the ability to consistently create good shots for yourself and or others. And so like, I'm going to lean heavily on Seth Partno's total usage. That is a combination of scoring playmaking and turnover usage. I personally find it the best overall statement of how large a player's role within their team's offense is. I think it's extremely useful for that. And so I'm going to focus more like, so for example, we're going to talk a lot about offensive ratings for certain players here. I'm not, you're not going to hear me mention too much about, Oh, this is what they are when this guy's off. Because that is more dependent on other factors. Now, it is a data point. I just don't think it's as useful a data point.
2: Yeah, and particularly not as much early in the season when uh, the vagaries Mm -hmm. uh, of shooting luck uh, can be even more pronounced. So EPM is uh, the one one number advanced uh, stat that includes on off that we'll be considering this year that seems to be very prone uh, to shooting like like there's one player who I I think is really being hurt in EPM and that just uh, isn't justified uh, to me and and a lot of that is because of the shooting luck RIP to Raptor hopefully that'll be back someday soon uh, or we'll have to find another one number (laughs) metric Uh, it's really a shame that uh, all the people who come up with those end up like working for teams or or. Having something else happen. That's all we always, the process of finding a new one that we believe in can be difficult. Uh, The other thing that I will say too, and I think I can articulate this a little bit better with a piece that Seth wrote, I think it was last year for The Athletic, basically saying that the more games you win, the harder the wins come, right? Because you think about, all right, you win half your games, you could theoretically just beat all the teams that are in the bottom half of the league, and that gets you to 41. Win, but every win you get above that, now you got to beat a forty-two win team. Then you got to beat a forty-four win team. Then you got to beat a forty-five win team, etc. And so, if you're going to get over fifty wins, then you have to start beating some of the league's best teams. So we'll see a lot, and particularly with the on/off as well. There are a lot of candidates who get their teams from. Atrocious offensively to like eh, average maybe slightly above when they're on the floor and it's just really hard for me to say you are one of the best offensive players in basketball when that raw number of what your team is doing when you're on the floor is not like way up there defense is maybe a little bit different because i think in some ways it's hard harder for a good defensive player particularly in a position that's not center to raise up your entire team uh But the best guys that can do that and and i think also the i'm kind of a little more interested in the what the team does when the guy's off the floor defensively if of course uh, there isn't that much shooting uh, luck involved because some of these teams right like philly with tyrese maxey they just don't have a backup point guard like most teams have at least like you know somebody who can play center at like a reasonable rate behind you know your really good all-star center or something like that so uh th- that's just something I'm, I'm considering too it's like if you it's not Necessarily, because you might be more of an offensive player or more of a defensive player. So I'm not going to say that it's you know your overall net rating necessarily, though. That's huge too, right? Like you just I want the the players, particularly in this era of like crazy stat inflation for stuff like true shooting usage, obviously points per game uh, as well. What I'm really looking at more than ever is like where are you pushing your team to get when you're on the floor? Though you got to be careful at this point in the season because there can be a lot of shooting luck involved. So we got to look under the hood uh, on some of these. So. That's just a a general philosophy here. When you hear us talk about that stuff, you can kind of keep that in mind. Um, I had one other thing I want to talk about. You got any more preamble? No, I'm good. Okay, so a lot of these stats we're going to give you. The league averages, I think, are very important to keep in mind, just for context here. So your league average true shooting this season is 57.6%. That is a pretty darn massive number. So yes. keep that in mind. And then also keep in mind, as you go up the positional spectrum, generally that gets higher. I haven't looked at what it is specifically for centers this year, but last year, it was around 62% true shooting. So when, when you see those numbers, now a lot of centers don't you know, aren't like big offensive engines. So we'll give some of the higher usage centers a, a little bit of a pass there. But that's something to consider as well. And then the league averages into the offensive and defensive ratings we're going to be looking at generally are from NBA.com. So I'll give you the league medians for those. So you can't quite do median because there are 30 teams. However, your number 15 offense right now is the Golden State Warriors at a 113.7. And your number 15 defense is the Sixers with a 112.7. So basically right around 113 is your league median uh, on either side of the ball.
0: Every day, our world gets a little more connected
4: All right,
2: MVP. Who you
3: got? I had a. I don't always. I don't always go into kind of tier detail for MVP, especially this early. But I did have a two-player top tier, and those two, in not order yet, um, are Nikola Jokic and Tyrese Halliburton. And the argument in favor of it being those two, and then everyone else. Is they both have a massive role within their team's offense, and both of their team's offenses have been unbelievable when they've been on the floor.
2: All right. Well, I had Jokic by himself in his own tier. I thought it was a, a very obvious pick. Uh, so let's uh, let's make the case for Halberton then.
3: Tyrese Halliburton has the second largest role per Seth Partno's uh, total usage in the entire NBA, or at least in the universe of players we consider. Fifty-two percent. That is gargantuan and. He is materially a worse defensive player than Jokic. He does play a less important defensive position. So that's why I, I'm fine with that part of it. You know, I, I will acknowledge that. And I'll tell you since you had him in several tier that I had Halliburton two and Jokic one. But Halliburton's individual efficiency is incredible 67% true shooting. He's making 45% roughly of his nine and a half threes per 36 minutes. I brought up in the last 15, 60 that depending on where this goes, it could end up being the greatest shooting season by somebody not named Stephen Curry in the history of the NBA. And the Indiana Pacers have one of, if not the greatest offensive ratings when Halliburton is on the floor of any player I've ever seen at a 126.7. So he is one of the most important players in the league. And when you think about the Pacers, in, especially like in the lineups he's playing in particular, it's running through him. Almost every good thing that happens for them offensively is because of Tyrese Halliburton. And he, in terms of players who can create their own shots depending on which configuration, you could argue that he plays with even more limited the teammates than Jokic, depending on how you want to classify guys like Buddy Heal. And they've been incredible, and he's been incredible.
2: I wouldn't say he plays with more limited offensive teammates when you consider who's actually been out there with Jokic uh, a lot of the time. Whenever he's out there with the second unit, they have absolutely no shooting. Point guard is Reggie Jackson. You know, Jamal Murray has missed more than half the year and hasn't played particularly well when he has. Uh, so And Jokic also makes a guy like Aaron Gordon way more viable on the offensive. Although Gordon even not having the most efficient start either. So, yeah, that number, I mean, that 126.7 is batshit crazy uh, like you said. Uh, Jokic... Last year was a 124, which is about the highest we've seen. He's 123 this year. Devin Booker, who will be a very interesting case uh, for us, is 124 right now. Although that's only in 10 games, as opposed to 18 for Jokic and 16 for Halberton. Jokic just played more minutes. Basically, what it came down to between Jokic and everyone else, I actually don't have Tyrese second. is I do default at the very end if I think it's close to who I think the best player is. And Nikola Jokic has proved himself to be the best player in the NBA over the last, you know, it was the offensive component over the last three-plus seasons. Uh, obviously, last year's playoffs was one of the greatest playoffs that anyone has had, and... So I just feel more comfortable with what he is as an offensive player. Tyrese Halliburton is certainly on the rise. He's been unbelievable. He certainly is a top five offensive player in basketball. I feel comfortable that he has performed at that level so far. And this is mostly, even more than mostly, based on your performance this season. But I still use as a tiebreaker, who do I just think is a better player especially if we're going for something for like mvp or all nba so i I use that as a tiebreaker Haliburton also just sucks on defense like he's really bad uh which yeah, i bad. yeah everyone else that i have in my top five that's not really the case for and that's that's another differentiator again when you see all of these amazing stats that guys uh, are putting up you have to find something to differentiate now again halliburton I and mean, his individual stats are ridiculous he leads in playmaking usage by a ton he leads in assists by a ton, 67% true shooting, 23% scoring usage. Doesn't even turn it over that much either. Only 3.1% turnover usage uh, per Seth's stats. And he's shooting 45% from downtown on 9.4 for 36. So he's just an incredible offensive engine. Uh, also hasn't played quite as much as Jokic. So he's played enough, 16 games, 540.
3: Yeah, and, and that was a slight factor for me. But I also think Jokic has been better. But for me, like th- those two because of how definitive they've been offensively. To me, they're a step above everyone else.
2: I had Joel Embiid second. I, um, it's very odd to me that it, it seems like, and it's kind of enjoyable actually. But the in-season tournament has taken up a lot of the discussion that would already be focused uh, on MVP. Uh, Joel Embiid is second in the NBA in estimated plus-minus, a six-point-five offensive EPM, and now Haliburton is nine-point-one, but he's also a negative two-point-four on defense. It's which, watching the film, I do buy it. Like uh, those numbers mean more to me. Well, well, I actually really see it on film.
3: I, I partially buy it. I mean, him being a negative 2.4 and Luca being a negative 1.2, like that to me is a little bit, it's, it, that's be, a little bit beyond the pale for me. Personally. Yeah.
2: It's, I, I mean, that's a, him and Luca defensively is a tough call. Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: But but
3: arguing,
2: L- arguing that isn't is... as bad as him. But he also plays a more important position, like higher up on the positional spectrum. So how how do you parse that? It can be difficult. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're both terrible. I I mean, I get that. So you kind of yeah. uh, again, I'm oh two 2.4 versus negative two point four versus negative one point two. Like it's neg, it's definitely in the negative. Deserves to be yes. negative.
3: And uh, and like so, yeah. but I'll actually I'll make this point now. Like so, for example, the difference between um EPM and again, no no single ranking is gospel. EPM believe like the, like if you take their ratings right now they believe that the difference between Tyrese Halliburton and Shea Gildas Alexander on defense is larger than their difference on offense and I personally think that is I don't agree with it. and that's fine that's why we consider all these things but no one of them is I, I is- think that might be true because
2: like that that's and I actually have Shane number three and and Tyrese number four. Okay, in part for that reason, I do actually think that that difference uh, is larger. And you know, would the Pacers have this ridiculous offensive rating? I mean, it's also worth noting that like everyone on the Pacers is shooting the shit out of the ball from three right now, which is Tyrese has something to do with that. But
3: oh, uh, oh, you're you're gonna say it did, like like that isn't happening with the Thunder right now?
2: I suppose that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, that, uh by except, by the, the way Josh that will, that will,
3: whether it's in this episode <laughs> or not, that is something that I will talk about at at, at some point in this.
2: Yeah. Now I, I mean I think both Indiana and OKC are a little over their heads. Uh, on uh, the offensive end, to be sure, but it's uh, when you look at like Shea Gildas Alexander is like is an actual positive on defense, which is amazing sure. that he's gotten to that point, given where he was earlier in his career. Though that was kind of what he was supposed to be as a prospect. You know, and great credit to OKC uh, and Mark Degnault for uh, helping him get to this point. But he actually makes plays. He's strong enough now. You can't really go after him in isolation. Teams don't go after him in isolation. They're trying to find somewhere else. Uh, and so, uh, like to be like like when you have a player like Trey Young is like this too who's just a total minus on defense like that just makes everything harder and for your best but everybody needs a, a guard who can score so you're always going to be out there but Shea Gilgis alexander being a positive on defense and giving you everything that he does on the offensive end and, and Shea, 64 percent true shooting his usage as a score is actually six percent higher uh, and he also almost never turns it over could be a little bit better as a passer but they have other ball handlers as well so uh, gil alexander rating higher in epm than to Tyrese Halliburton again, yeah. Is I think estimated plus minus goes way too hard in either direction on like how valuable or how detrimental guard defense can be. So I, I'm not going to go wild with that. But Shea Lewis Alexander, they. Have a 106.6 defensive rating when he's on the floor. And it definitely gets a lot worse when he's off. And that's uh, some of that. I haven't looked under the hood at that specific number too much, but the Thunder are a good defensive team. He's a big part of that. And I do think he's in the same league as Tyrese Halliburton offensively, even if he's not quite at that level. So that's why I had Shay, I had those guys splitting hairs. But I I should get back to Joel MB because he's, where is he for you? Oh, he's third. Um, okay.
3: he's third. He's the he's the top of tier two, and Embiid has a huge role. Sometimes we lose this. He has a huge role within the Sixers' offense. I mean, his total usage, he's at fifty percent, basically the same as Jokic. They get there very differently because Embiid scores more and he turns the ball over more, um, but he doesn't do as much passing and
2: Embiid. well he's doing a lot I, we, more passing this year though i, I think he he that, is. That, 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 that is important
3: credit to nick nurse and to joel for yeah. for, for mean, forgetting and joel
2: and averages more assists per 36 minutes than Shea gilders alexander more mm-hmm. than stephen curry more than lebron james more yes. than kevin durant so uh more than Giannis and more than donovan mitchell more than anthony edwards so like that's that's really impressive. Uh, I mean it th- is. and the way that they've been running their offense through him uh, as is really exciting.
3: It is. And and Embiid has also I, I wouldn't say he's had a superlative defensive year, but I do think that well, he has done Well, I i have we'll talk more about that as defensive player of the year.
2: I will spoil this and say that Joel is in consideration for number three at Defensive Player of the Year for me. His room protection numbers are very
3: strong this season. Stronger than they have been, yeah. So he he's done well. So, I mean, and if we were doing, if this were player rankings, and it's this is one of the bigger differences between the two of us philosophically, I don't consider player quality at all. I, I don't, I, it's not a tiebreaker. It's not a consideration at all for me because I, I consider it, it's this body of work and maybe they're a new player now. And and we we disagree on this. I, I understand where you're coming from, it's not a you're right, you're right or I'm right. It's just, just, just we we come at this slightly differently, especially at the beginning of the year. Once the body of work is larger, we generally end up at the we end up at our, at our own places, kind of the same way. So Embiid is, is third. He's having a wonderful year. And and I mean, for me, we, we have the agreement that Embiid and Jokic are not in the same tier because Jokic has this, not only, I mean, he does have a slightly larger role within the offense, but their offense has been better and been better by enough. And you think about not only the context of the role, but also the surrounding talent and like Jokic is what makes the whole thing work, especially considering how much time Jamal Murray has already missed this year. And Joel Embiid is a wonderful offensive player. They have Tyrese Maxey. They have some other stuff that can make it work. Like, I I think Philly's surrounding talent offensively is better. I, I, I
2: mean, Joel, 121 offensive rating when he's on the floor. And like, yeah, like Tyrese Maxey's having a really nice season. But I mean, they have four players on their team for, for most of the year, right? Uh, they don't have like Great offensive players around him. And like, yeah, his yeah. improved playmaking uh, has been pretty big. And he's, you know, I, I think he's, he's not in the, at the level of a Shea or a Halliburton as an offensive player but this is like the best that they've looked offensively and he basically has taken on you know maxi has taken on some and beat is taken on the other half essentially of what james harden's playmaking was for this team last year so the advanced stats are there uh i think that and also his track record is there so i i think like, when you just look at the overall statistical resume like i think he is like pretty solidly second to me and you, know, you look at the net rating plus 8.9 he's on the the floor uh so I, i'm uh which is one of the better numbers but not you know there are definitely some people willing to double digits here which we'll talk about so yeah i'm uh i'm gonna ride for joel here it's it's curious to me just because of the rise of maxi everyone's just been taking what joel and bead is <laughs> doing this season for granted it's odd
3: i agree I, we're in firm agreement on that i mean i have joel and third and then think that he is the best of this group we, just because we've already been talking about it my shake Guild is Alexander fourth so we're, we're largely in in the same place there and yeah. then
2: well so, so who else is let's just go through who is like in consideration here for this top five because uh, one of the nice things about this is we can fold this right into uh, all NBA now since we're positionless
3: yes we can and so I had three other players that I considered not only for this and they will fill prominent roles in all NBA as well unsurprisingly. Uh, I'm not going through necessarily in order, but um, you brought up LeBron James earlier in terms of assist rate. LeBron is having an awesome season. He does, in part because of how the Lakers offense work, he has a smaller role within the Lakers offense. And we've talked about this, about how sometimes he coasts a little bit and lets other guys do it. So he's, you know, if we're using EPM or if we're using... The Lakers just overall offensive numbers are materially below a lot of these other candidates like they have a 115 roughly offensive rating when he's on the floor. That is the same level as Steph Curry, someone we haven't mentioned so far in the MVP conversation, but that is well below Shea and Halliburton and and all those type of guys. But yeah. LeBron, LeBron, he's, not only- he's just
2: he, he's as efficient as ever, more efficient. In fact, yes. like his jumper is back. This year, which really helps, uh, but yeah, he is, uh, and part of this is the way their team is structured, but part of it is just that he doesn't have the energy to play this way. Uh, but LeBron is, lar- you know, when you think of what he did in that championship year when he was basically the point guard, uh, he has been kind of gradually seeding playmaking duties uh, elsewhere uh, as time has gone. He's also playing a shit ton of minutes hilariously. I mean, the big thing, shooting 38% from three this year, also 82% at the rim. Wow. <laughs> that would be wow. a career high. And he also has actually been uh, shooting really well from floater range that that might drop off. I'm not sure I buy the 38% three point shooting either necessarily, but uh, the other nice thing is he's totally cutting out the long twos uh and he's getting to the rim more than he has since uh since the championship season so that that's how you get to this uh the efficiency that he's had he's still you know is really good at attacking the basket in transition but i'm I, just watching him he's not the half court offensive force that he was in prior years understandably so
3: understandably so and and we're in agreement there um, another player worthy of consideration is Luka Doncic. Luka, as often the usage play make like role Dynamo 53.2% total usage is the highest of any player that we will consider. Notable that not only is the Mavericks offense not at the, quite the heights of these others, 116.8 is, is very good, but it is not like a Jokic or, or a Halliburton level. But also, this is a consideration, not a definitive one, because we're dealing with such a small sample size. They not only had a better offensive rating when Luka is off the floor, one of the things, and this goes back even to a longer discussion we had years ago about DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, the Mavericks have a better offense. Offensive rating, let's put it that way, not say qualitatively. When Kyrie Irving has been the sole creator on the floor, one twenty three point five, then when Luca has been on the floor, one fifteen point five, and so like yeah. the argument L- Luca without
2: Kurt Kyrie,
3: Luca without Kyrie, exactly. Yeah, and so the the argument is not that like that Luca is a bad player or that Luca is anything is anything else but the argument that like at times he isn't the best offensive player on his own team and it's sort of the equivalent of Actually, I don't really have a right line here where he's taking a lot of these possessions and like he is doing them well. Like individually, he's, you know, 62 percent true shooting is very good. Um, And he's making a ton of threes this year. He's at 39 percent taking 10 per 36, which is the second highest attempt rate of anybody who's even in the fringes of the MVP candidate candidacy list. So the idea that Luca is doing extremely well, he is extremely important, and he's also like one of the worst defenders on this list. I wouldn't say he's the worst. That's Tyrese Halliburton. but going there. So like Luca, firmly in contention for me here. Maybe I am going to draw a tier line. I haven't decided all the way yet.
0: Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us To be more human.
1: Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of.
0: At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human.
4: Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. before
2: we go any further can i ask you a question of course how much did you and or will you in future months consider tournament performance in this
3: it counts the same as any other game okay and Um, it will be it will be a little different once we get into the um the rounds that aren't like kind of other games i think i may weigh those a little more highly but not that much it's the it does seem like players are caring about it and i'm extremely excited about that but Minor. I will say that if we are counting that, um, I don't know if you saw that our friend Kevin Pelton did wins above replacement just of the in-season tournament. Number one there is Tyrese Halliburton.
2: Yeah, well, and we picked him as our MVP uh, last week yeah. uh, as well, and with Le- LeBron being number two there. Yeah, I mean, I think I may use that as a tiebreaker, and particularly if someone just like goes crazy in the the semifinal or the final or something, because it is called it's the in season tournament, right? It's part of the season. it, uh, it in- is part of the and, season. And so, but and those games are supposed to to mean more. So we'll see. I I, I didn't really have to go there at this point in time, but I I reserve the right to my number five. Let's just pencil this guy in for number five and MVP for like the next six years. Jason Tatum, like he'll never get above that, but he's always going to be like number five. He just he always plays the on off differential is always amazing. He's actually he's gotten a lot better this year uh, as a two point shooter, having his most efficient season early on. But it's not really based uh, on great three point shooting. Thirty six percent. It's a little better than it was last year. And but 62 percent true shooting now, 30 percent usage. Uh, not doing as much playmaking because they have uh, all these other guards uh, who do that. Does turn it over a little bit more than you would like, but he also, you know, like Clockwork, plus 11.6 net rating. When he's on the floor, uh, they are actually worse defensively when he's on the floor. But I don't make anything of that. He is enough of a tracker to know that he's good. They're a 118 offensive rating when he's on 106.9 when he's off, which it doesn't matter how much talent they get. That's just like always going to be the case <laughs> for the Boston Celtics. But in this case, though, like they do have plenty of other talent. You can't just be like, oh, they just have no other good players besides him. But like he clearly has made a difference for them through many, many other iterations of very talented basketball teams so i i think it, mm. i still i just don't you know as you watch him he's just he's not good enough to get to like into that absolute exalted top level but he's just like pencil him in as the fifth best regular season <laughs> player in basketball for the next six years
3: i have tateman also considered and he deserves a place there having such a smaller role relative to his competitors here is yeah, when you're notable. talking about the
2: passing because, okay, he's yeah, I mean, his, his total 8%. usage is
3: total is usage, below forty one percent, and every other player that we've discussed, LeBron is the lowest at forty three point eight. So like that's that's a smaller difference but you know Jokic and and Bede, those guys are like 50 like well, well they have let, a- let me
2: say this in his defense um i mean number one he does more defensively probably than any of the wings that we've uh, uh, discussed Anyone would put a big man that we have discussed and also he spaces the floor for his teammates like that that is He very does important, but right i, I mean there, there's a reason why they can never score when he's off the floor. I mean, it's not just that, you know, he's making passes or, or, like, making the shot. Like, he he is one of the rare offensive engines who is actually, like, pretty dangerous off the ball, allowing other guys to, to go to work, which, you know, Luca is—he uh, just stands 35 feet from the basket whenever he doesn't have the ball.
3: And, if and, If Tatum's team's ever had either a superlative, like, offense overall when he was on the floor— Or like, I mean, but he's also dealing with vastly superior offensive talents, like surrounding him to most of these guys, especially now with the addition of Christoph Sporzingis. Like, I would, I would be more persuaded by that. I do agree with you that he is the best defensive player kind of 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 his brethren here, but. He he does, I I'm you know to me the idea of oh well he's spacing the floor and allowing these other players it's like we're not we're not giving we're not giving as many other guys theoretically that credit like I mean Stephen Curry has roughly the same offensive role this year that that Tatum does. But and and actually I think in some ways maybe he's underappreciated in this respect because the warrior system is so different. But I I I think the on-off is a little bit persuasive. And Tatum for me, he is a a good defender in a on a good team. I don't think he's the reason why the Celtics have a strong defense when they do. He is a reason and I think you know you get a little bit of that though we're dealing with small sample size that the Celtics defensive rating is worse when he's on the floor than when he's off, and that's to me is is an indicator that he is an important cog, but not the cog. And you could argue that there isn't the cog in the Celtics. That's why part of why you and I have. I believe never picked a Celtic to win defensive player of the year in this run.
2: No, that's true. And, and I'm, they do have a, an incredible, incredible defense. They're the best defense uh, in the league. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say, uh,
3: but, but uh, I want to mention one more, one say? more yeah. player who I haven't also considered who I, I will say I partially put him and also considered just so I can mention some of this Damian Lillard. We're not doing the award right now, but he is the, from what I, the brief amount I looked at at the clutch player of the year so far, I just want to these stats are just jaw dropping 75% true shooting on 38 usage the bucks have a 135 clutch offensive rating when Lillard is on the floor and a 9-2 record. Now, that doesn't get into the full context of how they got into crunch time. That's just when you were in, what ended up happening. And so Lillard, his overall resume is materially worse than everyone that we've talked about. If you want to use, like, offense VPM, he's, of course, an extremely limited defender, all that type of stuff. But if you turn a certain number of close losses into close wins, that is real value. And so I don't have him in my top five, but I do want to mention it because the years ago we talked about this with russ and a few other players and i mean there was an argument for derozan in time that i didn't find as persuasive as other things but that is incredible
2: yeah i got the stats on that and uh- Momentarily, but uh, Damian Lillard is not even in consideration for my second team right now. By the way, wow, he's on my second. As uh, okay, as I expected, opponents are shooting nine percent better from three when Jason Tatum is on the floor than when he's off, and 26 percent better on corner threes when Jason Tatum is on the floor versus when he's off. So, yeah, he's yeah, there's uh,
4: no I, I'm
2: not the, like the fact that they're worse on defense. Like, oh, like, I don't, given I don't his consider, track I don't record, consider like, much I, either,
3: but but yeah. I think you agree with my general team that he is a positive defensive player but not like a defensive player of the year
2: no but I mean, he's very very good and especially when you consider uh, his offense but anyway all right so so who is your number five did you say him yet LeBron LeBron I
3: will, okay I went LeBron, yeah, LeBron five Luca Luca six
2: yeah okay yeah Le- LeBron The fact that he just hasn't been able to boost his team to those like crazy high levels uh, offensively, and I don't think he's like some huge positive on defense on a night to night basis uh, at this point. uh, That's a, I I had to have him a a little bit lower. Um, Yeah. Luka and Steph were uh, like kind of six and seven for me getting into All NBA second team. So my uh, All NBA first team and top five most valuable player is Jokic. Embiid, Shea, Halliburton, and Tatum. And your top five was?
3: The same as my top five for MVP. Jokic, Halliburton, Embiid, Shea, Gildas, Alexander, LeBron, James. So...
2: I did draw a line between that five and this next group because you just start to get into these guys having some more. It's like with Luca; he's definitely a solid second teamer. I mean, the individual stats are amazing. He's having, I think, his most efficient season. A lot of yes. that is from hot shooting from three, but he's taking a billion of them. Uh, defensively, he has struggled quite a bit this year. Their defense is bad, and he's a, a fairly large portion of that, uh, despite the fact that they also don't really play any any creators other than him and Kyrie. Like the fact that they just have to cover up for him, uh, in particular, and yeah, with Luca, they're a good offense, but yeah, that on on court offense rating one sixteen point eight is it's okay. Uh, I, I in this company when you've got a Halliburton with Indiana scoring ten points for hundred more, uh, and Halliburton has been more efficient individually, like he doesn't score as much. Luca's not hasn't been as good, uh, inside the arc this season, so uh, we'll we'll see how his his season evolves Uh, I think they started off really well they have been better in the clutch like he would be up there in that metric as well so that he's solidly on second team to me but wasn't in serious consideration for first team to me like there just wasn't anything like absolutely eye popping about what the Mavs are doing when he's out
3: there Totally fair. And that's a part of why he's sixth for me rather than somewhere higher, even though he has the largest role within his team's offense of anybody in the NBA. But I want to transition to somebody who is eye-popping that we didn't bring up for MVP for a completely justifiable reason, which is he's played roughly half the games, a little bit around half the minutes of everybody else. And that's Devin Booker. Booker, another player with an incredibly large role within his team's offense, 51.3. That is only below of the guys we've discussed. Luka Doncic and Tyrese Halliburton, that's above everyone else. And
2: that's insane, too, that he has gotten to that level. I mean, put it another way, 9.0 assists per 36 minutes, 18.5% playmaking usage again. That is higher than Luka Doncic. Yes, it is, is. That is higher than everyone that we're probably going to talk about, except for Tyrese Halliburton and Trey Young. Correct. And And now we're going to talk about (laughs) Trey.
3: Not not very much. And Devin Booker, if you want to go to, well, how has the Suns offense been in his minutes? They've been superlative. That 124.1 offensive rating is a little bit above. It's a little bit above Jokic and it's a little bit below Tyrese Halliburton. So to me, the argument that Booker has been at. Like the third bet, the third most valuable offensive player in the league is completely fair. He has he is a superior defender, even if the playoffs overstated. Like he's not as good defensively, possession by possession, now as he was in the playoffs last Particularly year.
2: Particularly since he takes on an ever growing offensive load.
3: Exactly, and and Booker also, it, it's such a fascinating subplot with him, paralleling his now teammate Bradley Beal. That like we would have thought if he's this incredibly efficient, like this incredible offensive force, it would be as a shooter. And he is making 40% of his threes, but only taking 5.3 per 36 minutes, which is a lower attempt rate than most, not all of the players that we've discussed so far. It's that he's become a wonderful playmaker. He's become a talented two-point finisher. And so for Devin Booker, I, I didn't feel comfortable having him on my first team. I And he is technically ineligible. If you did the 65, 80 seconds stuff, he would be ineligible right now. But he has plenty of space to still be eligible. Hopefully he plays enough of the year because it would be... This is part of why I you, you said that you were okay with it. I hate the new rules. Is the idea that I consider All NBA to be a version of a time capsule? And I'll just get briefly on this step now. We don't know where the season's going to go, but if Devin Booker plays at this level and misses just enough games, I consider All NBA to be telling the story of the season. And if Devin Booker is not a part of that story, they're telling the story wrong.
2: Yeah, well, we'll see where the Suns end up. But yeah, they're plus 11.5 when he plays, negative 2.5 when he's on the bench in terms of their overall net rating. And and as I noted, I, I think even... Nikola Jokic's and Denver's dominant playoffs this year kind of drove this home of in a regular season environment although it's been better I think this year where teams just aren't able to or don't bring it every night or guys miss time or injured or whatever like what is your ceiling as a team when you have your best players out there is so important and last year the biggest indicator was the Nuggets were plus 13 when Nikola Jokic was out there and really none of the other MVP candidates were into double digits and Lo and behold, the Nuggets flashed a much higher level in the playoffs uh, than anyone else uh, was able to reach as well so that uh, that to me like if you're getting into that double digit net rating when you're on the floor that really means a lot now Booker again that the fact that they are negative 2.5 when he's off uh no I mean they do have Kevin Durant but Beal hasn't played they also don't have a point guard they've sucked in in fourth quarters when he hasn't been available and they've been really good but that's because they no one else who can really dribble or pass on the team so I, I did have Booker down on third team because he's played basically half the season right now now, yes. that's to- uh, totally fair. I, I have. It. Yeah.
3: But the funny yeah. thing is, I had him second. And you could argue if I wanted to go the extreme version of mine, I would have him first over. Lebr- I'd have first team over LeBron. That felt uncomfortable just because when it's the beginning of the season, the sample is so small here. Like this isn't you know, it's he's played a little bit a, a little bit more than half the games that LeBron has. So, you know, when, when you've only played 10, you don't get quite in there. Um, just to kind of fit to go through my second team because we've talked about all the players but one. So I have Luca Booker Tatum and you you brought up the case eloquently. I have no problem with him being it, being in the first team mix. All these guys would be kind of in different worlds. I ended up with Lillard here in part because of that clutch play. I'm going to give him a boost for that also. like I, I think that there, there are some issues with Milwaukee's offense that I'm not necessarily blaming him as much for. And then the last spot was really hard, and this kind of sets up the next kind of section of but the debate. A,
2: can we talk about Lillard a little bit more? Because I, I do think if it weren't for the clutch play, I'm not sure I would have him on any, any of these
3: teams. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it is interesting for the— for the person who tries to who who cares more about player quality to do that when like Lillard is a really good player and has you know like his three-point shooting is worse this year than it has been before and it's the foul drawing that is that is really driving a lot of his success yeah but I mean he's been consistently one of the three or four best offensive players in the league going into this year when he's been healthy
2: well well, I mean they are 6.1 points per 100 worse when he's on the floor offensively that's that's pretty insane he's played a lot uh but Nate, yeah, they're they're they're
3: five point four points per one hundred better on defense when he's on the four. So let's yeah. give him some credit no, no, I
2: mean obviously Damian Lillard has a great resume as a a creator, but he clearly has to deserve, and the Bucs are starting to become a really good offensive team. Uh, It's taken some time. It still doesn't look particularly pretty a lot of the way, but they're playing like total offense lineups, right? Like they're not playing any defense first players at all. You'd think they should be like, unbelievable and of course he's a big part of why their defense has fallen off some too but you know that's that's I do think it's been clunkier than it should so sure. far and we always we always felt like oh Dame's such a good shooter it'll, it'll be such an easy fit for him to go somewhere else and, and it hasn't been the easiest fit in part because I think he's just used to being the man at, in Portland and you know maybe they've run too many Giannis isolations like the chemistry between Dame and Giannis just has not been what it's kind of supposed uh, to be it- but we're it, it, yeah, yeah it
3: is a shame we don't do not coach of the year because that would be fun <laughs>
2: uh yeah i mean john tweeted this the other day that they're just whatever their record like you know 15 six or something like just the worst looking 15 and 6 team that that uh, there's ever been now I I considered you know Damon Giannis to both be pretty attractive men so I wouldn't quite go there but the, they they do not play like a team that is uh 15 and 6 uh, certainly and part of the reason that they've salvaged that record is they've already won per set stats which take into account What the situation is when you reach clutch time. So not only is the game within five points in the last five minutes, but are you down five? Are you up five? You know, what's your win expectancy at that point? The Bucks have already won 3.4 games more than expected and damian lillard uh has 38 usage and 75 percent true shooting in the clutch uh, and uh they are nine and three in clutch games which again is 3.4 more wins than would have been expected lebron by the way is uh 71 true shooting uh, in the clutch uh but to keep in mind, just how fluky this stuff is. Last year's clutch player of the year, De'Aaron Fox, has 39% true shooting on 40 usage so far <laughs> this season. uh yeah. he's, he's missed some time, yeah. so this is not. But, it,
3: but at this, yeah. at the same point, like when we gave when we gave Russ MVP, it is not necessarily about how good you are overall. It's about like, that is value he provided, even if it's even if we agree that it's not sustainable.
2: Yeah, no, no, that's true. I, and I think if I i don't know if i had to go back and with my philosophies now particularly with the offensive explosion that we've had would i give russ that mvp again i'm not sure but i i obviously i stand by the decision it wasn't uh wasn't a crazy one um and he did get it after all
1: welding instructor alex declare knows vr training platforms like forge fx help students master their skills
3: there's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
4: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
2: So, yeah, so that that's where I have Lillard. Um, did you, I think I interrupted you there. Did you finish out your second team?
3: Uh, No, I didn't because I thought this was a transition point into talking about a group that I... I don't necessarily agonize over parsing this early in the year. So for me, the next three in some order were Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think they've all had kind of similar overall impacts. They've each disappointed in certain respects so far this year. There's the anomaly of like some of the – like it, which is toned down a little bit with um, Chris Paul's absence of like the Warriors being better – you know, net ratings wise, when Steph Curry's off the floor, Giannis, it's the like some of the efficiency stats have been, you know, like the weird shooting that he's been having. And um, and then with KD, it's it's in part the missed time. Like, it actually, he hasn't missed that much time. But, no, it, you no, know, really and like if he's three. been he's been outshined by Booker, I guess we'll put it that way. So yeah. he also plays up-
2: 37 minutes a game, which is third uh, on this list uh, yes, behind Tyrese Maxey and Jason Taylor.
3: Correct. And so I ended up with KD as the last guy on this group. But Curry and Giannis, I think, are first of all, they're they're having, you know, they're having good years. But I think kd has been he's been a little bit better for me overall.
2: Steph Curry, 68 percent true shooting on 32 usage. 43% from three on 12.9 three point attempts for 30 seconds. Hey, he's he's as good as ever, right? And but the problem is it's just and this is the case a, a season ago as well. You know, it, the numbers are not coming out as crazy good offensively. They're 115 offensive rating when he's on the floor and yeah, that drops to 109 when he's off. Uh they are much worse defensively when he's on the floor and it's gotten to the point where 2 years ago I thought he actually was a positive particularly when you consider guard to our number one scores. That's no longer the case. I, I think at this point like I I think it's he's just a subtle physical slippage he just fouls a lot more like teams go after him more now it doesn't help that they've played a lot of lineups where he has to like actually guard a real player right like jake clay thompson can't chase people around if he's playing with chris Pollock like that's not necessarily what he's gonna do either so stuff does have to kind of guard guys that are a little bit more legitimate he's not equipped well, and
3: and, and draymond's been off the floor for roughly half the year and they and Draymond, oftentimes yeah. when they can they play those guys together. Together. So Curry sometimes gets let's call them reputational benefits uh, defensively. Whereas Draymond. But, but the biggest offensive.
2: thing I'll the biggest thing I'll point out, and this is we see more of the Warriors than anybody, just because that's the team that we go to their games, is he just isn't get having the same effect on the team. And yeah, some of that is all right. We're gonna play Draymond Green and Kevon Looney together. Well, that hasn't worked. Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and Andrew Wiggins, who also can't shoot for the first month of the year. All right. That that's a I, I get it. That's a a sinking shift that it's hard to lift up. But just watching it, he's not the same force and transition as he was still really good in the half court but he's does get flummoxed a lot by room protectors and teams are just they're just not quite selling out as hard as they used to to deal with him that it's opening up easy dunks at the rim as much so it it well, used to be steph can, curry was like the warriors with steph curry on the floor was uh, like right at the top of the league offensive rating. that just hasn't been the case the last couple of years so it's just it's i, I want to throw one more thing top group yeah go ahead.
3: turnovers Stephen curry yes, yes high highest turnover percentage for him in years highest turnover rate per 36 for him in but, years. well
2: they got chris paul so he felt like he had to compensate
3: <laughs> yeah no. so i mean curry clearly to me, an all NBA player, I ended up with him uh, being kind of the, you call it the head of the third team table. Um,
2: I I had him on second team still, but just when you look at that true shooting and usage, you're like, well, why isn't this guy in first team? Well, that's why.
3: That's why. And so, so for me, I had that group I brought up before. So is there anybody else considered that for second team that we haven't mentioned? So yeah, Giannis, I I had LeBron on second team. KD, I mean, just a
2: say what he's doing just 49 three-point shooting 64 true shooting 33 usage now his passing is it's okay but it's not amazing 13.5 playmaking usage and 5.4 a 6 for 36 like that's solid for a wing but it's also not that's always been the biggest criticism of him is he's just not the throw it to him every time and he just runs everything he's gotten better at that but the fact that they've had you know half the games he's played in they've had no point guard at all like it's been a heavy lift for him but yeah. it's just it's a little it's you know may- maybe Golden State, KD, OKC, KD, maybe even Nets, KD a year ago was just a little bit. You just felt them a little bit more. It's just a little more dominant. Well, and, 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 and yeah.
3: KD's defense was better last year, too. um He's yeah. been I, w- I wouldn't say he's been bad this year, but he was very good last year and he's been all right this year. Still better than some of the plenty of the other guys we've discussed, but not not ridiculous.
2: Yeah. And he has also got a pretty heavy lift uh, on that end. As well, and they're plus six point two when he's on the floor. Considering how much time Booker has missed, like that, I mean, he's very, very solid. It just hasn't been. And also, I just feel like he's fallen just a little bit in the overall hierarchy as he gets older. So it's still like a great, great player. And perhaps he'll have a renaissance in these playoffs. And he's kept the Suns afloat very nicely with Booker and Beal missing a ton of time. So yeah, but just more of a 2nd all NBA performance than a first
3: team for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I had him on the second team, but at the kind of the end of my second team, and then we kind of, I mentioned we were kind of had this front of the pack, and then I had a lot of players in the kind of the end of the third team and the also considered that were kind of yeah. in, the, in the same well, mix. Well,
2: let me, let me take this next one, because I have one other guy that I thought was clearly on my third team. So okay. my, my third team, second team, just to round it out, Doncic, Curry, Durant, Anacumpo and LeBron. And then my third team, I've already got Booker and Lillard. We discussed them. And the other guy I think is just clearly has to be on there. No argument is Anthony Edwards.
4: Sure,
3: I'm fine with that.
2: So uh, the case for him: 32% usage, true shooting's about league average. 58% more that league average is 57.6. 38% three point shooting takes seven per 36, and playmaking usage. Probably the weakest part of his game, only 11 And it's not like there are all these other unbelievable passers on this team. Like Mike Conley's pretty decent. I and mean, who's the next best passer after that? Kyle Anderson. So they definitely could mm-hmm. use more passing, but when you consider the lack of spacing in the lineups he's been playing with for much of the season, it does just make it harder. And he has to create a lot of difficult jump shots, a lot of difficult drives with the defense stacked against him. And you look at the team offensive rating wow 116.7 when he's on the floor when he's off the floor 100.5 and in a lot of times he's staggered from probably you know mike conley and carl anthony towns are their second and third best offensive players he's staggered from those guys to some degree so it's not like he's you know they just have no replacement for it. they they have no replacement for his isolation scoring uh but that's a pretty big number and you're like hey like if they're that much better on just on offense with him and his defense is a lot better than most of these guards and wings that we've been talking about so why although I think that's been overstated just a little bit on like a every down basis so why is he not like even higher than this I, I think that would be be question one of them is just that he's the least efficient of any of the players we've discussed so far second however is that 116.7 when he's on there's just a lot of shooting luck involved there and let me see if I can find my notes on that. Yeah, the team is shooting 41% on three-pointers when he's on the floor and 33% from three when he's off the floor. Plus, 52% 52% on long twos when he's on the floor, uh, and also way, way better at the rim. Now, some of that is the shots that he individually is taking, obviously, but is he, he shoots less than 41%, obviously. So he, <laughs> his teammates are shooting way more than 41%, uh, when he's on the floor and then the long twos. Yeah, he takes a, a lot of those, you know, maybe that's a little bit of towns uh, as well but, but uh, so that that's definitely credit that he gets but he also just doesn't when you watch it too it's kind of like okay, they have no one to score, everyone's going to bail be out. I still think of him as more of a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser on the offensive end. And this is a team given, yeah, this is a team given the way that they are built that really can benefit from floor raising because they have such a great defense and they're going to be a really good team because of that defense and because they do have a floor raiser like him. But he is not, to me, you know, someone that I would look at as like a top 10 offensive player in basketball uh, at this point because he doesn't really distribute that much. And he's not like an incredibly efficient scorer. Maybe we don't know this. Maybe he could get to that point if he were playing in a group that had more spacing than they do on a regular basis. But we just haven't seen that uh, from him yet. And particularly as a distributor, we haven't seen it from him. So uh, he's made a ton of strides, like easily all all NBA to me in a way that some of these other guys we're going to talk about I think are just not. But that's I, I can't go above third team there.
3: I have him on my third team as well, and, and I, I'm happy that you phrased it as, as well as you did. Another player who is on my third team, and I was surprised that he ended up here, but I think he earned it so far, is Tyrese Maxey. And Maxey does have the benefit for a significant portion of his minutes of playing with Joel Embiid, who is a superior player. But the Sixers have a—they've been really good offensively when Maxey's been the only player on the floor, and the surrounding talent there isn't—it isn't exactly loaded with playmakers. They have other guys who can do other things. Um, Sixers have a wonderful 122 offensive rating when he's on the floor and you go, well, yeah, what about Joel Embiid? It's it's a 119.3, including the glass version, when Maxi's on the floor without Joel. So they've done very well. He has a large role within the offense in general. Like we're talking more and more in the realm of a lot of the players we're discussing, like his – I think he's at like 40, 41% roughly in yeah, total about, usage. About the
2: same as Jason Tatum. Yeah,
3: about the uh, same Edwards as Jason Tatum. Forty
2: three. Uh, by comparison. You know, like yeah. KD is 46. Steph is yeah. 42. LeBron's 44. So yeah, sure. just a little bit below those guys. But
3: and, and the Sixers offense has been better both in the MB plus Maxi and in the Maxi only minutes. So for me that was persuasive to get him above some of the other guys, but we're in the same realm. Like I you know, I I wouldn't say he's in a different tier than some of the other guys that we'll discuss. So for me, Maxi has the case and, and while he isn't the best defender, he has taken some strides to move forward. And so I, I didn't necessarily come into this expecting to have him on my all NBA team, but I do. He he was right
2: just left out uh, for me i would say and yeah that 122 when he's on the floor is very very good the other thing just he basically is the lowest turnover high usage guard that we've ever seen uh, he turns it over on well 1. It's, it's it's the two
3: it's the two tyrese's right well Tyre, no i,
2: I mean yeah it's, it's different for halliburton you know, halliburton passes a ton too, two right like yeah. that's uh Tyrese Maxey is not like a huge passer for for his position 13.8 playmaking usage definitely lower the true shooting doesn't blow me away the scoring no. usage doesn't blow me away either so that's 60 percent. Uh, true shooting usage is 27 percent. that's well below what, what we've seen elsewhere now the differential they're 13.4 points per 100 better when he's on the floor than when he's off but part of that is what I talked about where they just have absolutely no one else who can dribble on this team uh, and I, I think uh, certainly like one of the things that's hidden in terms of why they're so efficient with him on the floor is the fact that he doesn't turn it over. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really just massive. Um, but he also is a defensive liability at this point as well. And I just, I, I wasn't, you know, if they have a 122 offensive rating with him on the floor at the end of the year, he'll be up there. I, I was just a little, I couldn't quite get there. There are just some other players. And this is, this is when it started to get impossible for me, right? Because it used to be, okay, I'm going to compare it to these other cards. Okay. The, a lot of them have similar stats, but at least they all kind of do the same thing. So it's easier to compare. How, how are you going to tell me whether Anthony Davis or Tyrese Max is a more valuable player this year? Like, and it's not when it's at the absolute top when it's most valuable player you get by definition, when you get at the top of the league, you get more outliers. There's generally greater separation between players one and two or two and five than there is players 10 and 15. And this is why in part, when we do top 10 players in the NBA, we kind of just go into more tiers at this point. So it's, this is where I was just like, man, like I, And ultimately, I kind of had to be like, am I going to say that Tyrese Maxey, this is like his first season at this level. I just couldn't. I wanted to just kind of play it a little more conservatively at this point. If he keeps this up and they continue to perform this well offensively all season, then I'm uh, I will feel differently about it, I think. But I, I, I completely I don't I'm not going to tell you that he doesn't deserve to be there. I think any of 10 guys could be on this, you know, the kind of these 13 through 15 spots, 14 through 15 spots for me. I haven't even picked them yet. I still wanted to talk through. Yeah.
3: It. So it's funny. The other guy that you just invoked is the other player who made it my last spot. Not, not rigidly in order, but is Anthony Davis and Davis much smaller role offensively than a lot of these gentlemen, but of course he has a much larger role defensively than a lot of these a lot of these players as well. He, you know, we're not going to step on the toes of the defensive player of the year conversation, but he is a much more impactful player. And in his individual offense, it, it's funny AD is efficient, but now that he's basically playing pure center, 62% is roughly positional average. So it's not like he's incredible there. But yeah. even though but, we but said if you he boost the usage
2: a lot exactly. more like that that's not something that centers typically do like i think the average right. center usage is like 17 18% probably yeah. so that you're kind of taking your 62% true shooting usage from percentages 18 to 28 or whatever his usage is and you're taking that away from a guard who would be a lot less efficient so it does right. it does have old, value it's absolutely. more the guy's who are just like play finishers at the center position. We're like, oh, 60% true shooting, Clint Capella. Like, congratulations. Like, all you do is dunk. It should be better.
3: Correct. And for AD to be at that level as an offensive player, and then you think about what he brings on the defensive end. Like, to me, he he stood out among this group, um, just kind of thematically to state some of the bigs that I considered in this area. Not that we had to, you know, that AD getting the spot meant that Alperen Sengun didn't get it, or that Kristaps Porzingis didn't get it. But I, I did seriously consider both of them as well. They're having phenomenal seasons in different ways. Sengun being an integral part of the Houston Rockets' defensive success, even if it is partially fueled by opponents missing a billion threes. And Kristaps Porzingis, I mean, he's when he when he's been available. You know, 66% true shooting and Boston's offense. Let me let me see what it was. Boston, actually, yeah, Boston's offense up, you know, a 116 is actually about the same when he's on and he's off. But 116 is still very good. And, and he positively impacts that more than the average big does.
2: Yeah, if I had to predict the way this is going to go, it's that somebody from Boston, if they continue on this pace and win 60 games this year, somebody from Boston will make it. Uh, I do think Porzingis is probably their second best player at this point. He just hasn't played enough. Both in terms of games and minutes per game, of the part of that was because he only played 22, I think, in the game that he injured the calf. But yeah, th- that was just a when we're splitting hairs like this uh, at this point, uh, I-, I had to kind of take him off. But my five, I had basically five finalists for my last two spots, and that was AD Bam Adebayo which some of the numbers for him are crazy. And I don't know if we have time to get into all of that, but they're actually way worse when he's on the floor than off. Uh, but there's a shitload of shooting luck involved in both their offensive and defensive numbers when he's on the floor. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for kind of keeping them afloat throughout sure. the season. Uh, Shingun, who you mentioned, De'Aaron Fox, yep. and Rudy Gobert.
3: Yeah, I I, I respect all of, all of those players, and some of them will figure into other conversations as well. I want to mention a couple others. Yeah. Jalen Jalen Brunson and Kyrie Irving. Um Kyrie, like as an individual offensive player has has had a very good year. Um offensive BPM is is a believer in him. Not in the top top tiers. But like, you know, relative to everything else, he is a bad defender. Surprise surprise. Um yeah. but the, the 14 games uh killed me on him. Yeah, so yeah, that's it's again a philosophical difference between us. And then Brunson? Yeah. 60% true shooting, uh, about 40% total usage. So it's a little bit of a lower role. The Knicks offense has been meaningfully better when he's been on the floor than off and, you know, the defensive difference I don't I don't put that at the defeat. I wouldn't praise him just like I'm not going to ding him for that. So for me Brunson, he stands out among the kind of like offensive centric guards and and I mean his place yeah, on the next I thing.
2: would have Maxi above him even, I would
3: Oh, say. I do too. And, and, I have, have Maxi on yeah, my but, team and I don't have Brunson.
2: Right. Well, so, so Brunson, to me, uh, doesn't really push New York to being a great offense. Like, what pushes New York to being a great offense is offensive rebounding. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, they're uh, not a good overall shooting team. Now, he's shot it well from three. I think his inside-the-arc game has been worse overall this year. Both his shot-making and his assists uh, are quite down as well. He just pounds the ball a lot on a team that doesn't really move but uh as much, uh, like, the offense is good, in you know, he avoids turnovers, that's part of what he does, but he's, uh, he's just, a, I think, ultimately more of a floor-raising type to me and just their overall offensive performance, at least of the stuff that he is responsible for, uh, just not high enough to be in this group. Like, if you're, if I'm going to compare him to, like, you know, Donovan Mitchell, for example.
3: Yeah, like who I, know, I also have in this group.
2: Yeah, uh, but Mitchell only 14 games and they're way better, another one of these teams where they're way better with him on the floor offensively but they're still only like slightly above league average should,
3: offensively. should we talk about not i'm not saying because he has he doesn't have the same role within the offense the player who has the largest on-off disparity of anybody who's like in consideration for all nba other than Jokic, offensively is paul george in part because the Clippers' offense has been unspeakably terrible when he's been off the floor. George has a much smaller role. I didn't seriously consider him from All-NBA, in part because I haven't seen the possession-by-possession defensive impact for PG that he has had in his best years. But it is wild that it goes from a 117-3 to a 99-2.
2: Yeah, well, he's the only shooter that they have. (laughs) (laughs)
3: and and remember was that two or three years ago that the Clippers had like one of the best shooting seasons ever
2: 2021 yeah they were like a 41 percent three-point shooting team they took a ton of them Uh, and and now it's and then
3: all those guys are gone
2: yeah Uh, so yeah and Kawhi too just hasn't been quite uh, neither of those guys have been quite efficient enough individually they have had a really nice effect uh, on their team's offense. But a lot of that is just because they, other than those two guys, they haven't had guys really make a difference and nobody else can shoot either. Um, Yeah. And I I think, yeah, I I think I've got AD on there. I I think I'm going to throw him in, but my, the way I'm leaning right now is AD and Fox. Fox only played twelve games, which is not amazing, but they've been twelve very good games. Um, I mean, Shingun and Gobert. Should we discuss their candidacies more, Fox? Have we? Is there anyone else you needed to bring into the mix?
3: No, that's pretty much everybody. I'm totally on board to discuss Shingun and and Gobert if you want to. Well, why why aren't you? So, so who is your third team then? My third team is Curry, Yanis edwards maxi and ad yeah. and so, um but so all, our, but our differences it, let, let, yeah good let me give the argument briefly for Shengu. um yeah. in part because he's not really gonna make a place in anything else and i think his season merits merits mention here a larger offensive role than like a lot of players he's at uh basically 40 percent um total usage so that's in line with like Darius Garland that's in line with Tatum in terms of, and a lot of that is that he's you know he's playmaking usage is very high he's scoring a lot too well, he is well,
2: so, so this is interesting actually can I can I break in there since you mentioned the play of course playmaking usage if you can hold that thought he's got 11.9 percent playmaking usage doesn't seem that high but he averages and recall that playmaking usage is based on both assists and potential assists right the Pass- yes Two shots, whether it goes in or not, right? Like, what what percentage of possessions are you making the pass that leads to a shot? That number is 11.9 percent for Shingun. De'Aaron Fox, by contrast, has a 15 percent playmaking usage. However, Shingun averages 6.1 assists per 36 on a team that actually plays at a way slower pace, by the way. And Mm -hmm. De'Aaron Fox only averages 5.8. So Shingun's passes are much more lucrative in terms of actually getting an assist. Now, maybe he's not setting up threes, right? Like we don't know what actually. The number of points that have resulted, but just in terms of the actual assists, now is shangun just throwing more passes to guys right under the basket for dunks? So or his team just having happening to shoot way better? on his passes uh are fox just throwing more passes for threes that are just going to be are, that everyone is missing or you know are fox all of his assists for threes and like the fox's assists are actually generating more points uh, than Shangoon's? just kind of kind of interesting as we go through these numbers that there can be some variation in that
3: there can be and i'm happy you brought up the point and so shangun there's also the disparity you know so the rockets have a roughly a 118 offensive rating when he's on the floor that drops to 102.5 When he sits, I would say he has been a positive defensive player. Yeah, without I, being I checked a, those
2: numbers by the way no shooting luck in that offensive rating no really like no nothing significant enough to account for there being like you know 15.4 point difference when he's on versus off
3: no so yeah, he's he's the the proof is to an extent in the pudding and and i would argue and it's funny to put him with gobert like shangun has not been a bad defensive player in any way but if we're going to talk about gobert gobert has been one of the most valuable defensive players in the league and he's significantly worse offensively so how do you score those two things up for and this was always a discussion we had with Jokic for a position where traditionally defense is more important than offense for winning basketball.
2: Yeah, and Gobert. Uh, I mean, he's the reason why the Wolves have the best or second best defense. Like, he's back. Like, the yes. watching the way that he's moving around, he's actually able to affect plays on the perimeter some. Also, when it's a, an emergency, guys are scared of him again. Now, we'll talk more about his Defensive Player of the Year candidacy, but I, spoiler alert, uh, he's going to be my Defensive Player of the Year. So, that being the Defensive Player of the Year gets you into all NBA consideration immediately. Now, it does. Is he, I, I consider him a well below average offensive player i think that jazz system made him look better than he is and he also can't get up for alley-oops quite the same you know he's already right, he sprints in a lot of screens he sets a lot of screens while well, they don't really spread the floor enough for it to matter they want to use carl anthony town some as a screener too he hangs out in the dunker spot more he'll get some offensive rebounds he can't push him put him back it's been a little better offensively this year but the overall efficiency numbers for gobert uh, have not been particularly exciting this season you know this isn't the rego bear used to put up 70 percent true shooting numbers like that's that's gone what is he this year he is yeah 61 percent true shooting that's gone up a little bit uh but yeah i mean that's still th- that's one of those ones where like yeah you're below the positional average and all you do is dunk so it should be better so maybe some of that is tip-ins or whatever but uh that's why is those kind of shots and he also juices an offensive rebounding there which does matter some uh yeah, I think ultimately AD and Fox are going to be the guys. Like, I really struggle to differentiate between all these guys, and so I think just ultimately those are the better But Like, I think Fox is just a better player than Tyrese Maxey. Uh, he just ha- has a, a much harder job overall. Like, he's been the driver of the King's success this year. Uh, so I, I think if you were to... I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, maybe the Sixers are more successful with Maxey than with Fox because Maxey is just such a good shooter, and that does matter to play him off of other players, but Fox has been it well this year, too. So, uh, ultimately, I think Fox is kind of more valuable on more teams. His performance, yeah, he's only played 12 games, but I, I think that's gonna, I, I think he's been at like a clearly higher level than the rest of these guys enough that I feel
1: comfortable with him. In the spot, we got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. Yes, we you know that new customers who bet five dollars get two hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you win
4: make every night a watch party. Only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non withdrawable. Bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: today
3: okay we ready for a different category
1: yeah let me just put those guys into my into
2: my sheet and uh yes i suppose after you know an hour and 20 minutes of recording time we could move on where do you i'll let you pick where we go two coaches of the year something completely subjective finally
3: Yeah, it is, and it's always – reconciling this for you and I is hard. Reconciling it for other people is also hard because some of this is how is the team performing relative to our evaluation of their talent level. But one of the – well, do you want my picks or do you want to talk about some of the guys who are considered? I guess we, we could we could kind of – I had a clear number one. So did I. Mark Dagnall? Nope. Ooh. He, he is Moseley? my number two, though. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the argument for Jamal Mosley is the – Orlando Magic, not even relative to our own expectations, though that is, I think, is a consideration, though not the like only thing. Like I think back to Sam Mitchell, for example, winning coach of the year and some of the other ones. The Orlando Magic per cleaning the glass have the differential of a 54 win team right now. And they have the Third best, third best defensive rating. And as I discussed at length in the 15 and 60 recently, I believe that that is very real. And they do have very strong defensive talent. They have, you know, they they, they have lots of size, positional size at, at most positions. They have absolute sharks on the perimeter. So, like, I, I believe that they are a top five defense. And and considering some of the guys they've had out that they're there right now is is impressive. The reason why I have him over Degnault is partially that, but it is partially that somehow they're middle-of-the-road in offense when you consider that Franz Wagner isn't having his best season offensively. like his, the, I, I'm still a big believer in him as a player, but he's not having that. Paulo has improved, but hasn't markedly improved. And their guards, as great as they are defensively, are exceedingly limited offensively. And they've been largely playing Goga Batadze at starting center, though they do have a very good offensive backup zone. So for me, the the most important thing that a coach can do is, like, how how is a team performing above their talent level or executing well and all that defensively? I believe in the magic defensively entirely. And relative to their talent level, I'm – and because it's not based on shooting luck, I'm really impressed with what Mosley's done offensively as well.
2: Yeah, he was my number three. Uh, I think the difference – between him and Mark Dagnall to me is and maybe this is because I haven't studied Jamal mostly as much and part of it is just getting guys to play hard and motivating and that's stuff that even as you're watching on TV you can't necessarily assign that to the coach and yeah even as the number three defense they are well above their talent level and I generally am of the belief that defense is more susceptible to coaching uh, than offense. But to the extent that offense is susceptible to coaching, I give Mark Dayton a ton of credit. And I would actually say that the Oklahoma City Thunder, despite the fact that the Magic are a half game ahead of them in terms of record, have overperformed more than any team in the NBA because they have an 8.0 net rating, second in the whole league fourth on offense sixth on defense yes they are shooting the shit out of the ball that number four offense is going to come down maybe the sixth on defense is going to come down too Uh, it is they are like when you look at the things that Dignot does, whether it's at the end of games, whether it's uh, their great guard screening actions, the way they keep the floor space, the way they run, although I'll give Mosley a lot of credit for that too, the magic transition attack. Uh, and that's probably the, one of the biggest things I could give him credit for is the way that they've run and the way that they attack the basket relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's the personnel that they have uh obviously they don't have great shooting so I, I will give them some credit there like that game that they played against the raptors uh they just in the in-season tournament they just absolutely ran it down their throats and embarrassed them so jamal moseley's done a great job i mean certainly would be a is a worthy candidate dig just has more of a little body of work as well I, I the way i look at this is who do i think would is just the best coach in the league right now uh who has been the best coach in the league i think that's mark dignaut some of it's talent versus expectation expectations you know mike budenholzer Quinn Snyder, like they always got a bad rap on this when they're in milwaukee and utah because eventually you just priced in the coaching job that they were doing and you're like oh well they have this talent now and like you kind of forgot about them, uh, and you know that was probably the case for like greg popovich uh, for a while as well in san antonio when he was in his and head and
3: spo has had this problem for years yeah although they haven't had
2: I mean, I think he certainly should have gotten more consideration back in 22 when they got the number one seed than he did. Yeah, uh, because no, I, I will say he, I didn't consider season.
3: him this year. I will note that.
2: Yeah, I, I mean they they season. don't have the greatest regular seasons, like it's kind of hard to <laughs> give him coach of the year when they don't have a great regular season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went Dignall at number one just because I I think he's. In terms of the stuff that they are doing, like that was kind of the tiebreaker for me. My number two is actually Joe Missoula because like, Boston has just been absolutely dominant and they have, they are playing in a way that makes a ton of sense. He's integrated these guys pretty well you haven't heard anything about there's only one ball that the egos uh, their defense despite the fact that they had to change to uh, using kristas porzingis more as a room protector their defense is as good as ever um so i i went there i think he just like it's hard to fault his coaching too much like they're 15 and 4 they're the best team in basketball uh, at some point I, he's got to get some credit for that I,
3: I mean he does i i think they're the most talented team in the league especially if you consider available players um where you know like denver and, yeah. and other teams have had guys out, and so I don't. I don't have him super high on my list. Um, But I, I, I do think that he has done a completely credible job. I'll go through some of the others that I considered. So I said, "What uh, was mostly, your top three? No, that's why I'm going to go through some of the other oh, okay, coaches sorry. that I considered. So I have mostly Dagnault, one and two, and then some of the people I considered for three: Nick Nurse. The Sixers' job got harder in the like the the idea of like, well, what's going to happen with James Harden? And like, I <laughs> It might have, but Maxi, Maxi had you know like, how ha- how to fit him and Embiid Cause, together. Because he
2: actually now has players who are actually a fucking listen.
3: Fair enough. And but, the but
2: but I agree. He but, was in my list. Like he did. He's doing a great job.
3: Yeah, he's doing a great job. And like the the fact that they figured this out offensively, and they've been you know they've been very good at times defensively, um, especially relative to, to my expectations. Chris Finch. Now he might be getting some of the reputational benefit of like this team has best defense in the league talent like they that is the the like the positional size and everything like that one of the other things that i meant i i will bring this up with when i have the scars of having wooly green high in one of my coach of the year is i do this now as an exercise i write out my like coach of the year candidates and then i look at which teams have given up the lowest opponent three-point shooting percentage and i just go mm, mm big for that. And I will say Chris Finch features relatively high on that. Mark Degnalt features relatively high on that. And so does the person I actually picked for number three, and that's Ime Udoka, and who who was the predecessor of Joe Missoula in Boston. And I don't know how to process this Houston Rockets team. I do believe they have some significant shooting luck, but they have been, even if you account for that, even if you kind of square up that shooting luck and say, hey, they've been They've been unsustainably successful on that end. I'll use dunks and threes as a relatively good proxy for this. The Rockets are still 10th in defense. If you if you go to the way they scale it and they've been credible on offense, it depends on which measures you're going to use there. And when you consider just the kind of the, the murkiness of that team, the they did improve their talent level more strikingly than most teams have in modern NBA history. Um, but I think he's done a really good job.
2: Yeah, it's hard to argue that he hasn't. He was in my also considered as well. Uh, Rick Carlisle, just with the the way that they've installed this crazy run offense in Indiana. And, you know, he's kind of a stick in the mud type, it it seems like, but he's embraced uh, what this Tyree Caliburton team is going to beat. And that's the talent that they have, which is, that's (laughs) the essence of coaching.
3: But you know what isn't sticking in the mud? The Pacers defense. (laughs) they I guess, they're stuck in the mud, but they're not sticking opponents <laughs> in the mud. Um, well, they, they they get
2: the ball out of the rim really quickly once it once it goes in to run back the they, other They
3: they do, and you know, running after makes is, is one of my absolute favorite things. And, and there, I'm sure if we wanted to, like, we could give credit to other coaches. They're doing a good job, but for me, those were those were the ones that merit the most serious praise.
2: Talk defensive player of the year, then my, my top three, by the way, was Dagnall, Missoula, Mosley.
3: Okay, defensive player I, I, yeah. of the year. You're always doing it this early is is a, is a real challenge because you have to figure out, you know, like it, especially when we're thinking about something like opponent field goal percentage on shots that you've contested. Like we're dealing with a very small sample here and it is so. So you get into these you want to sometimes you want to tether to your your priors and you want to get into all that and so like there will be a lot of familiar names on this list um for sure like i will mention some of the players that are prominent featurally prominent rudy gobert brooke lopez anthony davis all of them have been there before and i consider seth Partners rim rim protection stat which junked on prime subscribers i believe they have access to this correct
2: no we're no we're they still- don't we're we're still working. We're still that. working Holden through Mike, that. Okay. A whole website is. Well, you
3: get access to cancel. it by me telling you right now about it. <laughs> um. So well, well they they is,
2: will have access to the spreadsheets that we are using as of this moment to calculate all this stuff up. Uh,
3: appreciate. It. And so, so I consider that an invaluable resource. There is. I don't love defensive VPM. I don't love any of the all in ones. I will mention like Jalen Suggs is currently number one in defensive VPM. First of all, no guard is ever the most valuable defensive player in the league and, um, and anything, but, I so I I mentioned how there are a lot of familiar names on my list. However, those familiar names are not number one. Number one is someone who we've mentioned as having this potential before, but is doing it right now. And that's Evan Mobley. And Evan Mobley, a darling of EPM, not that I'm considering that a a heavily weight. He is also number one in Seth's rim protection wins. And a part of the reason why, and I found this is what I found super persuasive. Opponents are shooting below 59% at the rim when Evan Mobley's on the floor. Evan Mobley's primary substitute replacement, not exclusive, but primary is, is Jared Allen, who is a wonderful defensive player in his own right. That spikes up 8%. So it's like around a 65, 66 when Mobley's not on the floor and he's a versatile team defender and all of these, he has a lot of these other positives in some ways. Mobley has some of the positives that Anthony Davis has at other points in his career. So I'm not saying Mobley is now like the best defensive player in the league or anything like that. I think he has the strongest resume so far.
2: Yeah. I I completely disagree with you on that. I think it's Rudy Gobert, like incredibly, obviously. Uh, In fact, I, I I really struggle to find any statistical indicator that Evan Mobley is better than uh, like Seth, Seth stats. uh, Like the uh his rim protection wins that adjusts for the position and evan mobley is listed as a forward if you just look at the raw point save for 100 rudy gobert is higher uh the on-court rim attempts by opponents when rudy gobert is on the floor opponents take 27 rim attempts for 100 possessions when evan mobley's on the floor for cleveland it's 33 uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, Gobert to me, to me you're
3: you're giving him point. a lot of credit for other elements that the like, I mean, the per- defensive personnel for the for the Timberwolves outside of Gobert is vastly superior to me to the the Cavs. Def- I mean, they're playing two two tiny guards who are bad at defense.
2: Yeah, no, uh, I mean, like, that's that's true. And like they are way better defensively when he's on the floor, though. He got killed by shooting luck uh, a year ago. Now that that's normalized, like it, Evan Mullen is my number two. But I, I think Ru- Rudy Gobert is pushing the Wolves to be a great defense. Like, just when I've watched Gobert, I think his impact has been greater than that of, of Evan Mobley. And he has a harder job. Like, he plays next to Carl anthony Towns. He has uh, a—
3: you think Rudy Gobert has a harder job defensively than Evan Mobley does? In the starting lineup, I think that's probably right. Well, yeah. I mean, in the starting lineup, that's only a portion of the— That's only a portion of the minutes. Well, like I mean, he's also
2: playing next to Carl anthony Towns, who's bad. Uh, Jaden McDaniels has barely played this year. I Mike mean, Anthony, Anthony, Edwards
3: is, Anthony Edwards is Anthony Edwards is a better defender. Kyle Anderson is a better defender than a lot of the guys on the Cavs. Yeah, like, no,
2: I, I mean I I think it's. But he is still like when you're the center rather than the power forward, and Evan Mobley had to play more center too. I, I mean, I, that that's a reasonable one. I, I might I think that's that's arguable. Um, yeah. but yeah, the finish, and, and though, they're my top and those team. are
3: my top two as well.
2: Yeah. Um, but so Gobert, like he's way lower than Mobley and EPM. EPM is just fucking him because opponents are shooting 36 percent for three, not a crazy number when he's on the floor, but then when he's off the floor. Opponents shoot way, way worse, but the beauty is he still has by far the best on-court defensive rating of any of these candidates. They're 105.1 when he's on the floor there. They, that goes to 102.7 when he's off. But again, that's basically uh, all shooting luck. So EPM season, they're like, oh, well, they're worse defensively when he's on the floor after this month. So uh, obviously his EPM can't be that good. But uh, he's way back in terms of blocks uh, per game as well. Uh, They've played about the same number of games in minutes. Uh, So that's, that's not really uh, much of a difference uh, there, but uh, they're also just like by far the best defense in the league. Like he's the biggest reason for it. I I just, ultimately, uh, there are so many indicators here and we've seen Rudy Gobert do this before, Though I didn't think he still had it in him. He has proven me a hundred percent wrong so far. Uh, so I, like, I, I thought that that's just, you know, the, the obvious league's best defense, obvious, uh, biggest reason for that who's been you know what is he a two three-time defensive player of the year I can't remember um that that just seemed like kind of a no-brainer for me uh Evan Mobley was my clear number two uh, and there are certainly some very positive things for him as well I didn't really I haven't decided my number three yet I kind of want to talk that through at this point
3: I, I was torn on it as well um it I mean you have some of the familiar faces um Anthony Davis you know high in, in Seth's rim protection metric he's opponents are shooting just four 49% at the rim when I, I think that's when he's in the game. I don't think that's on the shots that he can test. I may I may be wrong on that. Wait, um, or is that percent
2: at the rim? No, it has yeah. to be. It has to be his personal field goal percentage. A lot on on contested. If it's forty nine percent, yeah, I believe it has then, to yeah, be. It would never um, be. It would never be. Yeah,
3: awesome. they they wouldn't do that. Yeah, when he's on the floor, that would be preposterous. Um, yeah. So AD has some of that. I mean, old old friend, old friend. Bam out a bio has you know he has not always a non conventional case because he's not a great rim protector, but he is such a great team defender. He does a lot of he does a lot more things than. The average center does Um brook lopez has more of the traditional center case he can test he can test a ton of shots at the basket he saves a ton of points there and while the i mean the bucks defense hasn't been great when he's been on the floor but it's been a lot better than when he's been off so that is a consideration as well
2: so joel Embiid is uh, yeah this to me came down to brook lopez joel Embiid, and bam AD just wasn't quite there for me I think that he there are things when you watch him he, his effort level just isn't quite as consistent I would say uh you know Joel Embiid is number th- eh, no sorry excuse me number four uh in contest percentage so how many opponent shots between five or within five feet of the basket do you contest when you're on the floor uh chet holmgren is actually number one in that metric with 49.4 percent. it's incredible that is a crazy number uh i i probably i I, part of why i didn't consider him is he hasn't played as much and also like he doesn't defensive rebound and the team doesn't defensive rebound when he's on the floor so i I, that'll be something that i'll look at maybe a little more closely if they continue to be this good all season the shooting luck component uh, as well although when he when chet's on the floor it's not crazy it's still 36 percent, so it's basically league average um overall for okc they've benefited but not then uh, but they only uh defense rebound 65 percent of opponent misses when chet's on the floor that's that's a little bit of a problem um ad just a little bit lower in terms of the number of shots uh, that he contests not quite as high in that rim field goal percentage allowed as, as a few guys are, and he also is just like awful at getting back on defense. Anytime mm-hmm. he misses a shot, it's just an immediate fast break for the opponent, and they're not really elite when he's uh, on the floor defensively. So I, I bypass him a little bit. Out of bios, candidacy is just again such a weird one. uh He's really getting hurt by opponent shooting luck. Opponents are shooting forty percent from three when he's on the floor. It's kind of the same thing that happened to. Evan and Mobley last year, that's also incidentally what's happening to Jaron Jackson this year and Giannis uh, as well. Not that Giannis has been like so amazing, but compared to Brooke Lopez, uh, opponents are shooting much better from three when Giannis on the floor. Uh, Lopez, it's just they this is one of those things where yes, the rest of the defense sucks, but when he's on the floor, they're not really an elite unit. Um, so I ultimately
3: think I'm gonna go with Joel. At this point, mm, com- completely reasonable. His, the, how well they've done when he contests yeah. shots is, is I, I, very I love, like,
2: impressive. that 45% contest percentage. Now, Lopez is higher, uh, now playing, playing in that drop, but that's what he's been doing a ton of. Joel is also, well, shit. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't go there because his, uh, yeah, the field goal percentage a lot is totally respectable at 52. So I, I couldn't really decide between Bam Lopez and Joel. Joel hasn't gotten enough love for me on Defensive Player of the Year, probably. So, but, I'm sure I'll have a replacement for him next well. <laughs> I,
3: I'm going with Brooke. And in part, like, there are some big problems with the Bucks' defense. I do not think those are Brooke Lopez problems. I think those are our Adrian Griffin problems. And so I'm I'm not going. I mean, the Bucks have this like historically bad transition defense. I haven't seen it because like Brooke Lopez is doing a shitty job getting back. Well, uh, he, he oh, is like, he's
2: not the fastest runner. I will say that.
3: No, he's not the fastest runner, but I don't I don't think that's you know the some of the preposterous stuff that's going on with them is is I'm not laying that at Lopez's feet maybe that's unfair maybe it's unfair that I'm giving him I'm giving him a benefit of the doubt that I wouldn't give other guys I'm okay with that for now
2: um some people might say where's Mitchell Robinson Mitchell Robinson allows 65% shooting at the rim and also his he also doesn't contest nearly as many shots. Yeah, and, and like opponents take you know more shots at the rim than kind of the the best guys in this group. In fact, it's uh, Isaiah Hartenstein grades out as a much better statistical rim protector than Robinson, although he's obviously not going up against starters as much.
1: Today um, yeah, okay, I, I think that's uh we can move on to sixth man
2: here. This is another one where I thought there's a pretty clear winner. For me, even though it's, you know, again, not like the strongest crop at the moment, also it can be a little weird early in the season when guys maybe started for a little bit and like technically aren't eligible, but, you know, they're generally bench players.
3: Or or, or, the, or the reverse for me, I have two players in my top three who aren't going to be eligible soon because they're starting now, but I wanted to acknowledge yeah. them.
2: Okay, well, why don't you uh, lead us off then?
3: Sure. So there are a lot of a lot of players who are having at least notable years coming off the bench. I will note that some of the, our usual suspects, like Larry Nance isn't having that kind of year. He's also now going to miss an extended period of time. He re-aggravated that rib injury. Austin Reeves, like he is one of the best players who comes off the bench, but he hasn't had a great year. So instead, the um some of the other guys that I wanted to to praise, I mean, Isaiah Joe, to use your phrase, is shooting the absolute shit out of the ball. 10.5 threes per 36 minutes, making 46% of them is gobsmacking. Like, and and he's not doing it in like, you know, like zero minutes. He's not doing it in garbage time on a bad team. Like he's doing it as an important part of thunder. There've been times that I, I've thought that he should close games for them, just depending on circumstance and, and what they need. He is a limited defender, but I don't think he's a terrible one. Um, I do think that his defensive EPM is ludicrously high, but um, like unfairly high, but he has done a really nice job this year the two guys that i mentioned that will not be eligible for long but i thought i I put here they thematically fit in what you and i really love in sixth men which is players who at least at times have come off the bench but are closers and bring something to the closing five that that is really valuable and so for me those two guys um number two i have alex crusoe and number three i have buddy healed And Caruso, I mean, I don't even know where you put him among the best bulls, but he could be he's he's very high on the list, especially if he shoots anywhere close to what he's been doing this year, which is a preposterous forty seven and a half percent on threes. But he is, you know, one of the league's better guard per, perimeter defenders as a, in a help context, sometimes in a man to man. And then with Heald, it's it's the like, you know, he takes a high volume of threes. He makes a high volume of threes. He has wonderful chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton. He is a better fit in their starting five than Ben Mathurin. So I picked them as two and three kind of I wanted to flag them in this. They're not really going to be in other awards moving forward, but I think they've been two of the best players to come off a bench for more than half the time so far this year.
2: Yeah, we'll see with Caruso. Uh, Caruso has... Started thirty five percent of Chicago's games, plays twenty four minutes a game, but he does close. That's one of the biggest things to me is mm-hmm. if you're not closing, it's really hard for me to take your candidacy too seriously. I also want guys who like Isaiah Joe. I would love to have him in here, but he's averaging twenty minutes,
3: game, which is a little bit right. too low. Like he, he's in my more. also he's in my also considered. So not yeah,
2: Caruso is at twenty four. I mean, we just know that he's a really effective basketball player and. The way he's shooting the ball now is even more valuable. Yeah, the usage is not particularly high. He doesn't pass as much as he used to. He's really almost more of a three or a four on offense. At this point, but he can handle the ball some and he can guard one through four exceedingly well. he's one of the best help defenders at the guard position. He's not really capable of playing more than 25 minutes a game, which is part of why I think he may end up just coming off the bench again. Like there was a point at which he started. I think that was kind of possible. Billy Donovan's desperation attempt to like get them back on track and save the season. Now that the season may not be uh, savable, uh, they may move him back to. A bench role so uh, but yeah oh, I, mean, I thought you were gonna say they may move him like to another team i'm sorry may happen too. yeah or yeah might say say they treated. may
1: move him to yeah
2: um the shooting uh, i mean i can't say it's definitely real but it looks like it's real from three he's just been more aggressive like the shot that he made to send the game into overtime against who was that some of the, the Raptors? right yeah it was milwaukee
3: milwaukee uh, yeah oh yeah where they sent three guys <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
2: Um, was indicative uh, of that. He also had another huge three uh, that won them a game. So he's clutch for So he's my number one, uh, particularly when you consider the track record here. And Devin Vassell, I would have considered he's, but he's kind of just like weirdly coming off the bench. Like he's shooting well. Also, you know, they're uh, they're terrible when he's on the floor. He's also
3: started more than half the games now.
2: Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yes, he has. Yeah, Uh, my bad. Yeah, he was he was on here. He hasn't started that much. But I think he then. uh, Yeah. All right. So so he's a start. He's not in this. My number two guy was uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Where'd you have him?
3: I had him in the also considered. I mean, it's a it's kind of a similar case. He has a he has a large role within the within the success. Um, of of the Atlanta Hawks, he's he's had a nice year. Um, actually, let me. So overall, Bogdanovich, he's taking a ton of threes, almost 11 per 36, making 39% of those, and um, you know, well above the positional average in true shooting. And you don't want to throw too much on like an individual uh, like offense offensive rating for a sixth man, but 120 is is very very good. Um, So, yeah, I think Bogdanovich, he he definitely is in consideration here. Actually, I'll mention I want to mention two other guys. Um, And you may have convinced me to move Caruso over the guy I haven't mentioned yet. But one of them is Chris Paul. Um, Paul, his role with the Warriors has changed at different moments in time due to Draymond Green's availability, and other things. But you can really see it. Kevin Pelton wrote about this well in the reduced turnover rate for the Warriors that he you know they're getting they're getting a higher proportion of shots up because he's there and he hasn't been great defensively but like he can do enough and like he has a big role within the offense even relative to six men so like he he has a place in this conversation I put him in also consider and then the other guy I wanted to mention who I may now be moving down to number two is Emmanuel quickly quickly has been Efficient. He's, you know, making 37% of his threes on reasonably high volume. He is a limited but not catastrophic defender, and he's, you know, so and he's been one of the spark plugs I, I mean, for them. I think
2: he's- I would consider him average to slightly above average for a point guard. Like he gets into the ball. He's he's small, but he gets, he gets into the ball. Like he gets over screens. I I think he's totally fine.
3: He does fine. So yeah, I, I, so for me quickly, I think he's just, he's a a good player who comes off the bench for the Knicks and has been a part of their, a part of their success. Again, they have a strong, they have, they've had a strong offense when quickly has been on the floor and he's Largely, though not exclusively separated from some of their higher profile players. So, yeah, I think I'm going to move Caruso to one quickly to two, heel, at three. Yeah, Buddy hasn't been
2: quite as efficient As I hoped, uh, he might be, but he is shooting forty percent from three on eleven point two three point attempts for thirty six. Yeah, he he probably he probably should be above Bogdan at this point. There are a few other guys who, man, if they just play a little bit more and keep up what they're doing, it could be really exciting. Like Lonnie Walker has twenty six and sixty three percent true shooting. He's playing twenty one minutes a game in seventeen games, so maybe maybe I should give him a little bit more of a candidacy. Or I'm just not quite buying forty six percent three point shooting. um, I mean,
3: yeah. Mo Mo Wagner, 71% yeah. true shooting is, is completely yeah.
2: another guy who just isn't isn't quite playing enough at 19 minutes
3: a game. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, and, and, I would be pretty excited about him, too. Like I mean, if I could pick the Wagner Isaac like combo platter as the sixth huh. man of the year, I, I would probably do it because they do have a they they have been successful defensively when they've played together. But it's mostly because of Isaac, not because of Wagner, at least as I interpret watching the magic, which I do a lot. And let's see. I, yeah, I'm I, I happy I you brought up Bonnie. Sure,
2: sorry. No, uh, how about Aaron Nesmith? Did you consider his candidacy?
3: I considered him. I, 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 mean, whether you believe that this level of shooting and efficiency is real, but I, again, I try not to price that in too much. And he, he's been, he's helped them. So yeah, I, I, he, I should put him in also considered for sure. Yeah,
2: sixty-five uh, percent true shooting, forty-four percent from three on six for thirty-six, and uh, definitely a solid defender. Though his job is yeah. a, a difficult one. He's probably overstretched as their best perimeter defender, but still certainly a good defender. Um, Let's see who else. Al Horford may be in this by the end, uh, but just not quite having... The offensive role uh, that he's had in the past, uh, he basically is just a standstill three-point shooter. He's not doing that quite well enough. Only has a 10% scoring usage, and they're not running as much through him as a passer as you might have thought. Malik Monk figured for me pretty prominently here. Uh, I had him at number three. I'll probably move him down, though, and put Bogdan at three and healed at two. Because, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but Bogdan's just been rock solid. And, and Monk... Another one of these guys who closes a lot of games. The offense is a lot better when he's on the floor. Not a great defender, but not he's definitely gotten better there to some degree, but just hasn't been quite as efficient. He's a little bit below the average of efficiency. Bogged in and healed a little more
3: well, and, and than he is. I want to give Monk credit. His playmaking role with the Kings is, yeah, sig- that's is significantly yeah. higher than it used to be.
2: No, that's right. Uh and and higher than a lot of these candidates as well. A few other guys that people might just be wondering about. Uh Eric Gordon is not eligible. Um, Sadiq Bay is actually having a really nice season. I just think Bogdanovich uh, has been better than he has. Bobby Portis has 53% true shooting. So not really. Norman Powell has been efficient, but just hasn't really had the usage. And he's awful on defense. Isn't getting up as many threes as you would hope. You mentioned Reeves just hasn't been as good of a shooter as he's been in the past. Alec Burks isn't having the same level of season uh, as he had in the past. Uh, Cole Anthony uh, might be someone to keep an eye on here. Uh, But uh, the on off numbers there are not like particularly compelling. And he's he's just more of an innings eater. Gary Harris, if he plays more, will be. in. He's only played thirteen games and only twenty one minutes a game. Russell Westbrook, forty nine percent true shooting. He, he also is not technically eligible yet, although he will be very shortly. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and uh, Dario Sarch, wanted to shout him out. To uh, I think he's been uh, pretty useful for Golden State. Probably been their best center so far this season. Uh, did, he has.
3: Did you mention? Games. Did you mention Cole Anthony as well? He's somebody. who's,
2: who's uh, Yeah, like- I, I did briefly uh, as. You know, again, a lot of these guys there's not a ton to uh yeah. to differentiate them. Um and, and I guess uh Nas Reed is probably someone who also gets some attention. They are not particularly good offensively when he's on the floor. Uh they're uh one oh six or one oh five point seven offensive ring when Nas Reed is on the floor. That's not too wonderful. Uh, if you're really gonna be a kind of a offense only big I'd like to see now they've defended when he's on the floor better than expected but overall they are eight points worse per 100 when Nasri is on the floor and when he's off so that's it's hard to get behind his candidacy at this point
3: and and Nate in a deep personal disappointment the Pistons offense has been roughly equal when Alec Burks has been on the floor and off this I year I
2: thought yeah I, I've, I definitely demanded that Dan put him on on the sheet but unfortunately the, the numbers were not where he wanted let's get to rookie of the year here
3: Yes, we can do that and one of the basic thresholds that you and I both use for rookie of the year is like kind of the the ultimate if you can pull it off is have you been a posit, have you been a positive player? And because that's so rare for rookies, like there are years where there aren't three. And to me there have been three. And so that's for me there were um, those are the kind of the clear top 3 for rookie of the year. And they aren't, you know. One of them wasn't drafted this year, and one of them wasn't drafted quite as high. But in no particular order, those three are the number one pick: Victor Wembanyama, Asar Thompson, and Chet Holmgren. Yeah, I had to go, Chet, I and mean, for a rookie. Oh, absolutely. He's he's yeah. my number. He's my number one buy, a meaningful margin.
2: And I've said before that I use who I think will be the best player and the best prospect as a tiebreaker. There ain't no tie. Not even right close. now, uh, Chet has just been incredibly... His efficiency has come down slightly, but 66% true shooting, 22.5 usage as a center, 41% three-point shooting on 5.2 per 36. So he's a, a threat out there that can test percentages, doesn't have the greatest opponent shooting percentage at the rim but the contest percentage is crazy like his mobility allows him to get into the play a lot of times even if he isn't always able to make the play yeah defensive rebounding is not that great but like the guy like when's the last time a rookie had a plus 10.3 net rating when he's on the
1: floor
3: yeah and like, and one of the things that the thunder are doing really well when home grins out there is their their they're not fouling a ton, it's but it's a weakness when he's off the floor. You know, so that's one thing that they're not doing as much homegrown. He, uh, I talked about this with Jared Dubin early in the year. Like he does a really good job of like conceding just enough space, and that helps the Oklahoma City offense do well. Now they are benefiting from some intense shooting luck overall, included within the homegrown minutes. Opponents are shooting just 34% from three, but he's done a pretty good job as a rim protector, and as you mentioned, he has been a clearly positive offensive player. He his Not only is he individually above the positional average, but his spacing with Oklahoma City makes so much of their other stuff work better than it did before. And I think Holmgren deserves a significant amount of credit for the Thunder being as good as they are offensively when he's on the floor more yeah. than most centers to,
2: to be and just uh, his willingness to play center uh, as well is yeah. huge and yeah he's I'm not saying he's going to be better than Victor I don't think that will be the case and I certainly would love to see what Victor Wembanyama could do if he were in Chet Holmgren's situation and vice versa uh,
3: oh and, and if and if you could cut out the worst 8% of shots that Victor Wembanyama takes how his efficiency would change
2: yeah I, and Victor is number two here but in mean, the 30% usage is just deranged uh, 27% Three point shooting, 53% true shooting. And yes, I get that they're like trying to develop him in this way. They're trying to develop him and keep him healthy and have him play forward and develop this versatility of skills and not, not put any kind of a ceiling on him and all this shit. But okay. I mean, that. That may be your philosophy. I have some quibbles with it at the moment, but we're talking about who's been most effective this season. He's not being deployed in the way that he's going to be most effective and they have a negative 10.8 net rating when he's on the floor. Negative 15.3 when he's off, so he's probably helping them still, <laughs> but that's yeah, relative I'd say, to I'd say how he's been unbelievably able- shitty they've been. <laughs> it, it, d- just because you're helping the team relative to all these other players doesn't mean you've actually like really helped like to actually win games. He's Correct. He won them maybe one or two games, but he's hurt them in a lot of other ones he also is turning it over like crazy five percent turnover usage is just a massive
3: well and and while we're talking about turnovers someone who is forcing a lot of them is assar thompson um a little bit below two percent steal rate but a 4.2 two percent or 4.2 two point block rate for a perimeter player is incredible but the other reason why i'm having Sar here even though his offensive game is bo- well below what you'd want is is he is a wonderful defensive rebounder and what that provides for a for a, a team that needs a lot of help in a lot of ways is very important yeah his shooting has been horrendous yeah i do that and like i'm not saying star thompson will be the third best player from this class a number of different players that are rookies this year just haven't played enough to be to be considered here but i think he's been the third best
2: yeah i can't go there on uh, Asar. his offense is awful it is it is like as good like i don't think there's really a reasonable argument that whatever he does defensively makes up for how bad his offense is like i, I think he's a negative player okay at the moment and, and i mean they're a bad team they're nine points per hundred worse when he's on the floor offensively they're not that much worse or, or not that much better on defense when he's on the floor I mean, he has a negative 10.7 net rating when he's on the floor like and they're negative 4.2 when he's off like that's yeah actually respectable and and granted there's other bad players he plays
3: with but i i think that's i think that's the i call it the deer and fox tax where the um their starters are abysmal and it's not a Sar Thompson's fault i I mean i think
2: it's partially his fault like yeah part of killian hayes uh i mean he's their at least their second worst starter
3: I mean, the, the, so if he were if he were either the worst or second worst like if, if they had better spacing around him I think a lot of Asar Thompson's limitations wouldn't matter as much.
2: Well, that, that might be true. Like, okay, if you could set it up where he's your worst shooter, but he's not a center he's a perimeter player. No. I, I've just there have been so many guys like this where hey, they do a lot of spectacular shit. He may be unbelievable defensively. Again, I think that's maybe a little overrated, but yeah some of the rebounding stuff, uh, steals rim protection in that package like he may be potentially a future all defense player, but I mean, this is like worse than Tony Allen level of of offense right now and comparing him to like for this season I would much rather have Jaime Jaquez I would much rather have Derek Lively I'd much rather have Cason Wallace I'd much rather have Jordan Hawkins uh like because they just like fit into a real winning team I mean it's like all right it's one thing if it's Victor Wembanyama, right where he's just like this incandescent prospect like it's obvious he's really good like that's kind of what rookie of the year is all about like star Thompson is not at that level to me like I, I think when you get down to this level when nobody is like truly stood out so far like I would say of the, this is a pretty shitty third slot for rookie year overall. So I'm going to at least go like Derek Lively is like contributing to a winning team as a starter, as a center who like fits in totally well. Like I think, I think you're
3: giving, I think you're giving personally a lot of credit to players who are in better circumstances, who aren't making those circumstances themselves. Like Lively deserves credit. He is a better fit with, he has done, he plays hard. He does these things. He's a better fit with Luca. And and Kyrie, and and you know, you do have to play the hand you're dealt, but the idea that, like, first of all, he's not solving any of their defensive problems. Like, nobody is. Like, that's just that's just one of the things that's happening. And he's a wonderful play finisher with the best setup players in the entire league.
2: So well, he's he's actually positively impacting their defense, right? Like they're they're much better with him on the floor than off. Like, he he actually for a guy that age to be out there. I mean, he's better than their other centers are, like the, that are like actual in theory NBA veteran players. Like just, mean, just for him to be able to go out there and not fuck it up and like contribute something positive. Yeah, it's in a decent situation on offense, not on defense. Like he has positively impacted their defense. Like that that to me is much more valuable than what Asar Thompson is doing. Uh and I mean I don't know that I even have Lila. I probably would go and Hawkes is another one. Uh yeah, he's played I'm, I'm fine I'm fine
3: with too. all of these players being consideration Uh, obviously like
2: there yeah so i'm I'm gonna go hakez at this point uh he's also he's played more minutes than lively has uh, played more games, 62% true shooting, 19% usage, 39% three-point shooting. So it doesn't really take anything off the table for his teammates. He's uh, at least rugged enough on defense to be uh, a somewhat positive, although I do have some qualms about his isolation defense. That doesn't come into play too much unless he's playing right at the end of the game. But yeah, he's actually like closing games for a good team. So I, I just, it's like, star Thompson, yeah, the, he's a unique player. The defense is really intriguing going forward. I, like, he is just a massive negative to me uh, right now when you consider the, the offense. And particularly the role that he's in, like, they're not giving him the ball. He's like, he's actually, like,
3: not really that good. I mean, you, you say they're not giving you know. him the ball. His role within their offense is very similar to Brandon Miller and Jaime Hawkins. Like, it's, it, it it isn't, and it's not like he's turning the ball over. It's just that. Those guys have smaller roles with different kinds of things around them. And you can argue, and I would, that has like, being a credible shooter, that makes benefits that are outside of that usage. But, like, his role isn't, it, it isn't that different. You say, oh, he never touches the ball. It's like, it's it's very simple. All
2: right. So, well, d- does the Duncan LaRue partnership end after nine years over a Asar Thompson versus Jaime Haquez Jr. No. third-place rookie of the year fight? <laughs> Uh all right. Let's uh, let's move on to our next category here, which is sophomore of the year. This is uh, we're getting into our invented categories. Now.
3: We are, and we have one more non-invented, but we'll but thematically it makes more sense to do sophomore here. Yeah, I I want to give credit to. A lot of players that have moved into this conversation based on having a meaningful improvement from their freshman year to their sophomore year. So, like, Mark Williams, for me, has has looked a lot better this year than he did previously. Jabari Smith Jr., having a much better second year than his first year but what cracked me up is not in the same order necessarily my top three is the same top three that I had for rookie of the year
2: yeah if kessler had played more I, I probably would have had him there i mean to me paulo and jalen williams particularly now that they're doing it on winning teams and Paolo's sure. taking a big step forward with his efficiency that's been big uh, as well so he's my number one and jalen is williams is number two. Third was yeah was kind of tough uh to parse out, who'd you end up going with there? You, you went with Kessler? I went with Kessler. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think, you know, I believe in the, the generally the rim protection that he's done so far this year. And he, he's a talented enough offensive player. The, you know, the sample isn't necessarily the best. The Jazz aren't, aren't, aren't that phenomenal of a team, but like, I like what it, you know, to me, I like what he's done a little bit better than to me. The the two that I most seriously considered outside of them were the aforementioned Jabari Smith Jr. and Mark Williams.
2: Yeah, I ended up going with Jabari. The fact that he's improved his three point shooting is really important. His defense is a legitimate plus right now with Kessler not having played as much Mark Williams has been better but he's also still on a joke of a team like <laughs> Jabari is contributing to winning basketball he fits in with everything they're trying to do on both ends so I think he's he's starting to establish himself a, as like a, a winning player and there's still nobody who's like wowing you at that third spot yet in this mm-hmm. class so um I,
3: I want to I don't want to dwell on this yeah. but just briefly gut gut question if chet holmgren counted with the class he was drafted with rather than the class he's playing with where would he fit in oh god does does this podcast need to be longer um i mean i think based on how he's played he might be one
2: that is that's a that's a really someday we'll do a it's at least a question i think that's as far as we can go in the analysis right now. Shaden Sharp's another one. It just hasn't been efficient enough. Part of that has been because the Blazers, just when Brogdon was out, was scooted out. Simon's out. He just was asked to take on way too much. Uh, like he definitely has had some big games that have made me excited about him, but he's been asked to do way too much. Like You can't say that he's been you know, the third most effective sophomore, but someone to watch maybe by the end of the season. and Hopefully, if uh, he fulfills the hopes that we have for him, he can get in this place.
3: Let's move to the last Last actual word that we that we have here, and that is Executive of the Year. And one important thing here is that Executive of the Year, as you and I interpret it, and I think this is the correct interpretation, it is only on the moves that you made during. Like it isn't originally like from July first on, because the draft is an integral part of this. But I would say from the end of from from when trade season reopens. So like you were technically like so when when let's say late June to now. So there are a number of teams that have exceeded expectations, but it is primarily based on moves that have been happened previously. I do not consider those at all. I don't care that you drafted the right guy. You know, like, I don't care that Sam Presti, that the pick that he made of Chet Holmgren a couple of years ago is bearing is bearing fruit. Now you drafted Chet Holmgren outside this window. It doesn't count at all. Yeah. Um. So th- there are a lot of general managers that have done really well, and an important consideration here that I think sometimes gets underappreciated is hiring of a head coach, and that's going to factor in with a couple of my a couple of my selections because. Honestly, retention, like deciding on a coach, it's an immensely important part of how a team plays, how well a team does. And the right decision there can set you up for years and the wrong decision can set you back for years.
2: This guy did not hire a coach, although he retained an interim coach, although I think that was technically occurred outside of our window. But Brad Stevens is my guy right now. Celtics are 15 and four obvious best team in the league through the first uh, month. And he made a number of ballsy moves, moving on from smart, the porzingis trade uh, as well then to use the booty from the smart trade to go and get drew holiday uh, just his his overall vision and then also moving on from rob williams and malcolm brogdon uh, other guys who i think were talented but also were massive health risks now they don't really have anyone that's a big health risk other than maybe porzingis and they sub someone in and drew holiday who's been pretty bulletproof as well so now like that that top five really only has one big injury question uh, as opposed to a many before he made all these moves and i I, the other thing i loved about what he did is he made a move to put himself in position to make the next move, even though he didn't know exactly what that move was going to be. He just felt like, hey, there might be something that we have an opportunity for. And that turned out to be Drew Holiday. And yeah, I mean, it's working perfectly <laughs> so far. Uh, they are.
3: I mean, it, really just good. the fact that they upgraded from smart to Porzingis and got assets in that trade. And then yeah. remember, this is a consideration. Got Porzingis to agree to a very reasonable extension um, that that sure. factors in as well. Extremely. And yeah, so, 30 yeah, million.
2: I mean, two years. Yeah, that's great.
3: Stevens, Stevens to me is number one in a class by himself so far. Um, my other, my other two did hire coaches and that's a, a significant part of their grade and a part of it for right now, eventually, especially when we like think about this in, in hindsight, drafting will factor in more, but I'm just not certain enough on this draft yet to factor it in as much. Um, my number two is actually Daryl Moore and the, Sixers organizationally, I think were under some of the highest pressure in the entire NBA because there was the Harden situation and then they fired Doc Rivers. So they were going to do a new coach and that it looks like they're going to come out of this not only clean, like with, you know, like with a good team, but like a happy Joel Embiid, no dip and arguably be better now than they were before is a huge win. We'll see where the rest of the season goes. But they were able to get off of Harden, get a couple of draft resources, but also get players who can help them. And I was very critical of Daryl Morey for the moves that the, for the players that they lost, that they let you know let Shake Milton and a few other guys go, George Niang on reasonable contracts. They haven't really missed them as much as I thought they were going to.
2: And those guys haven't played well, uh, honestly. Uh, And to get Kelly Oubre, who was great for them, only played eight games, obviously, but he's going to be really useful to allow Tyrese Maxey to blossom. To and we'll see what they end up getting, but like Tyrese Maxey is having an amazing season, and I'm sure Daryl would never you know, promise anything ahead because he doesn't do that, but uh, to finesse that situation where Tyrese Maxey doesn't have a Max contract extension right now so they can use his $13 million cap hold next yep. offseason and still be getting this type of season out of him, that in some ways is as valuable, if not more valuable, compared to the way the... And maybe mismanaging maybe not of of james harden was detrimental and like harden is looking like addition by subtraction like you weren't going to get this tyrese mm-hmm. maxi you weren't going to get this nick nurse more free-flowing offense through Embiid at the elbows uh, making plays interacting with tyrese maxi is the main thing at the end of games instead of harden and you know who knows i i'm not going to sit here and tell you that daryl morey wanted to like alienate James Harden enough so he would request a trade I think he was just negotiating hard which maybe seemed you should do more and he knew that James didn't have a market and okay could he have tried to mollify him some uh, enough so he would sign a a friendly contract yeah maybe but like was was that that contract was probably gonna go into next year maybe he could have traded him at that point we couldn't have done that till December 15th so he got I mean as of right now even if he did end up folding a little bit because of pressure from Josh Harris on the Harden trade like James Harden doesn't look that great. For the Clippers right now, maybe he'll (laughs) round into form. But
3: sometimes you have to know when to hold him and know when to fold him.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it's working out uh, pretty darn good uh, for him. And knowing what they had in Tyrese Maxi and making a bet on him and the ability to find some guys uh, around the margins to fill out the team, even though they you know let a few of these guys they had bird rights on go as they're waiting for the end game with Harden. Like it's all working so far, and I don't think that they you know. helps too that the bucks look like shit so far but you know they're they're still just right on track to be the number two number three seed losing the second round they could have done that with James Harden too and now at least they've got Tyrese Maxey looking like a future superstar and or they could even make a trade at at midseason that they couldn't have made were Harden there necessarily
3: is he your number two as well uh, I
2: went Rafael Stone number two and Maury number three. Uh, the coach hire—I mean, we didn't even talk much about Daryl Maury hiring Nick Nurse, which was pretty good. The coach yep. hire uh, with Rafael Stone, Ime Udoka, particularly because that coach then apparently dissuaded them from going after James Harden. So great, great job getting the <laughs> coach. He's a, a, a better GM than uh, than your GM to like give you some good advice. You know your limitations. Um, yeah, Udoka was uh, personal foibles in Boston aside, he certainly is extremely respected by all of his players and so uh getting fred van vliet and dylan brooks dylan brooks we were kind of as this may not be that great maybe he should go somewhere else uh he would make more sense elsewhere but he's i think they did a pretty good job of identifying that Dylan Brooks was going to be a better player in Houston. Yeah, he won't continue shooting fifty percent from three all season, but he looks like he's at least going to be competent there. And there's this feeling that ah, oh, Dylan Brooks like wants to hijack the offense. and never be able like he's actually has a lower usage uh, in Houston than in Memphis. In part, I think because they paid him. Now, he was sort of saved maybe from being hoisted by his own petard with the Brook Lopez possible reneging on the early deal that they had set up this whole thing where they were going to trade all these these uh, guys who are in their system to do the sign and trade with Brooks and then sign Brook Lopez with the cap space and you know they ended up having to kind of waste it on Jeff Green and Landale and you know Jeff Green's been a good locker room voice uh, for them but uh, I, I think that would have blocked Alper and Chingun, who is actually the biggest reason even more so than the guys that they brought in why they are competent this yeah, year and, so he actually got saved from himself there
3: he did and that's that's a part of why I ended up with Stone 3 and the the difference between those two is very close and the ability like to, that they didn't bring in offensively dominant players, and again, that's praise for Dylan Brooks. I'm not calling him offensively dominant. That's allowed Shangoon to thrive. I think it's also given... Javari Smith a little bit more room to roam, which has been good. I mean, you wish Jalen Green was taking advantage of that. He's not quite, but that's okay. And also, it wasn't necessarily because of great maneuvering by them, but they got us our they got Amen Thompson in the draft. I really like Amen Thompson, even if yeah. that hasn't that hasn't borne out too much yet. But I think he's a good player. And while I lamented the Rockets giving up Josh Christopher and Usman Garuba as a part of these yeah. no, overalls are doing moves. anything
2: so exactly it,
3: like they're not they're not yeah. being haunted haunted by that at all
2: yeah Ty Ty Washington was another one of those guys Ty Ty's on sure. like a two-way with the Bucks. he hasn't figured at all but yeah so that's my top three Sam Presti yeah, just didn't do that much of his work this season but looks like Casey Wallace is a winner that they traded up to get not adding anybody in free agency looks like it's working pretty good mm-hmm. Joe Cronin the return from the holiday trade in particular doesn't look as good with the demise of Rob Williams. Uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, has not been what we hoped. At least has been a little bit better lately, and their defense has surprisingly been like pretty competent as they've gone on a, a little bit of a winning jag here of late now that they've gotten at least like somebody who can dribble the ball back. James Jones, we shall see on the Beal thing, but certainly did extremely well in the minimum market. That's kept the Suns afloat through their injuries. But hey, I didn't think any of those guys were close to that top three. If,
3: if James Jones had used one of those minimums on a capable backup point guard, I might have had him third. But um, And he's done very well. Like I, It wouldn't surprise me at all if James Jones ends up in my top three, but we just need to see a little bit more there.
2: So, Danny, I intentionally waited to talk to you about this topic before I did my rankings for not executive of the year. Please regale us uh, with some candidates. I feel like we have a remarkably strong crop so far.
3: It is is a row of team murderers. Um, We can put it that way. (laughs) It is a a very strong group. I want to start with somebody who hasn't gotten as much attention and that and and that is Brian Wright, who I'm considering the decision maker in San Antonio. You could use another name there if you saw them, if you saw fit. But generally speaking, the player who has the, the person who has the highest ranking title within that now that our CPU for it has taken a step back. And with Wright, it's. This Spurs team is unbelievably terrible, and the, I think they've put Victor Wembanyama in a in in close to an unwinnable situation. Like the best thing they did was they got the number one pick in the draft, and that is no credit to the general manager. And they took the right player. That's small credit to the general manager in a draft like this. If they it would have been all time malpractice if they didn't. So. I, I I don't have him in my top three, in part because San Antonio, like they didn't do they did relatively well with their cap space. Like they didn't, you know, do they the asset game was fine and they did all this other stuff. But like Yeah, yeah he they, ended they made up the
2: trade to get that pick swap in twenty thirty just for taking on Reggie Bullock from the maps. Like that that was a pretty good move. Yeah,
3: yeah like there um, were a lot but, of like small good pieces of business. Jetty Osman getting him for basically nothing as a facilitator, and and I like I like Osman, but like they have no shooting, they have very little dribbling, and they could have used some of their resources to put competent players, a logical structure around it. But also part of it is that they've they've had some guys out like Vassell miss some time, and I think they've looked better when they've been closer to hole. So that's he I wanted to mention him because I haven't heard his name like in any of this kind of stuff. And like the Spurs are so cataclysmically bad this year.
2: Well, and more importantly, I would say that Victor Weminiyama has been below expectations, and I think... And it's not because, I mean, you watch him play, like, it's not because he doesn't have the talent that we thought he had, right? And now, how much power does Brian Wright have compared to Greg Popovich? Is Brian Wright on board? He's not the one starting Jeremy Sohan, at point guard, necessarily. Now, if he maybe could have given them a point guard who was semi-competent, oh I mean, there is in terms of Trey Jones, and they got him back, actually, I thought, a pretty good deal. Like, I didn't hate their offseason necessarily, like, maybe the
3: Zach Collins extension was a little... Rich, uh, And it was to, also they, wait, one, one thing on the Zach Collins extension. To me, the issue is not that it was way too rich. It's that it was unnecessary. Like they could have just seen where this season went. And if Zach Collins, you know, leaves, okay. Uh, you know, yeah, the Vassell extension is looking, you know, about about what we
2: thought it would be, uh, and so yeah, I, I think it I I don't I'm not gonna have right in my top three, but I, I think it does deserve some mention, but I I think of it that maybe as a little bit more of a coaching and a player usage issue. Like the only thing I could really point to in terms of the roster is maybe having like a real backup point guard, and they had campaign on the roster, but they they still have Devonte Graham too, but the pop stop. Playing Like Devonte Graham could do the same thing that campaign was going to do. So I understand that they, why they would just buy him out. So like it really, yes, it could be better, but it's also like he doesn't, he can't tell Greg Popovich what to do.
3: Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I have, I wanted to mention him, but not, not put him in the top three. Um, Troy Weaver, just the overall kind of theory of this, of having such I, I limited I thought he, shooter. like,
2: actually tried with the offseason moves to remedy these issues and just those players haven't been healthy and he drafted another guy. Like, he drafted the guy we would have drafted at five. Like he is a, sure. I, know, I know I was saying this. Well, and, and I, I didn't
3: like yeah. how they used, to me, the, and this is why he, I wanted him and also considered, they used so much of their salary flexibility to not accumulate assets and get players who would help them in the short term and aren't actually helping them in the short term. Now you can't predict a Monte Morris injury that that part of it, I'm not dinging him as much for, but the idea that they like didn't get draft assets for any of this stuff, they didn't get players who were under contract and like it, and and, like, I, I like Monte Morris, but like, if if they bring him back i don't think it's gonna even though he's a flint native i don't think it's gonna be like on a huge discount or anything
2: yeah not trading Boyan is pretty asinine although that really should have happened outside the window at the last trade deadline and 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 not
3: trading alec burks
2: yeah like I, i do i mean given how much cade has struggled i think that they're the idea of hey we need to get a little bit better and a little bit realer of an ecosystem here this season i don't begrudge them that because they didn't Other than Boyan, they didn't have assets that they could trade that that were going to be you know have first round type of value and give up a couple seconds for Monte Morris. That seems fine. There's also a scenario in which you could have flipped him at the trade deadline as well, uh, and.
3: and that could still be possible.
2: Yeah. And, and I would have liked the idea of playing Cade off the ball with Monte Morris. Like I think getting a real point guard in to replace Killian Hayes would have been nice. Uh, and not have make Jaden ivy have to be the point guard either. So like just to have someone who's was useful there would have been nice. And but you know, I, I don't know that he expected that Monty Williams was gonna start a Sar Thompson and you know, Weaver does like the double bigs, but Monty Williams is also doing that now. Troy Weaver apparently preferred, I think it was uh, Jake Fisher had this, that he didn't necessarily prefer Monty Williams, and Tom Gores was the one who really pushed hard for Williams and gave him this massive contract, and I can't say that Monty Williams has covered himself in glory so far. Uh, that's certainly the case. So yeah, I can't I can't put Troy Weaver up here because I thought he actually did some things that made sense to me if you're looking at just this window. The overall rebuild has been poor, but the only thing I can really get say that like I think he screwed up was not trading way out of the
3: summer which incidentally would have made their shooting even worse but um there 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 are challenges yeah, cause there
2: because Cade kate is struggling like they like they needed to try to create a real team around him and they just haven't uh and, right but due to health it, i mean the biggest reason yeah
3: it isn't uh, it, it, it isn't yeah. is a fair a fair sample that is a completely reasonable point so my my top four though we haven't we haven't gotten into at all and one of them is Zach Kleiman. And I was optimistic about the Memphis Grizzlies going into the season. And they there are a couple different flaws that I think are worth, worth at least brief discussion. We've been recording for more than two and a half hours. One is they gave up real assets and Tyus Jones to bring in Marcus Smart, in part because of his fit with their best unit, which we haven't seen at all. We haven't gotten to see Job plus Smart plus Jaron plus Bain, even if we're not including Stephen Adams, who served for the year. And that is important context. Another part, and this is a parallel between both of the general managers who who I have in my Top two, bottom two spots. However, we're defining this. They both had enough space under the luxury tax to use the full non-taxpayer mid-level, and neither did. And I think both teams are dealing with depth issues, and it just pisses me off. And so for Climan, they're like, there was this idea of like, oh, we have like Kenneth Lofton, and we have all of these other guys. So like, okay, we're and maybe maybe it's ownership pressure that like, but if you can't convince your owner to use the mid-level exception in a year where you're well clear of the tax, that's partially a failure of the GX. And so for the for the Grizzlies the Stephen Adams injury is is unfortunate but they're out like they're they're basically done when John Morant comes back from the injury when all they need to do was tread water and a big part of that is the personnel decision
2: yeah I will defend them with the mid-level thing in that they have this financial apocalypse coming next season with Desmond Bain's extension kicking in when they're basically going to be right at the tax so all they could give out was a really a one-year deal at that uh, in all likelihood so I, I understand maybe why they didn't they also got Brandon Clark uh, on the shelf uh, this season that's not so Well
3: but they they, they knew done. that going in and still yeah. didn't add front court depth and still and also they like didn't give xavier tillman that contract that's another way they could have they could have used some of that wiggle room under the tax and potentially helped their selves in that um armageddon unless they're just going to let him walk
2: no i, I think that the, those are all good points i'm not telling you he did a great job i think it really goes back to the 22 draft and and overall what they did in 22 that's a, sure. a little little rougher they did get bane at a little bit less than the max uh for his extension and it doesn't have a uh, escalators in it for all nba not that he'll be making it given the their present trajectory so I, i'm not willing to totally shovel dirt on this yet uh and also quite frankly it may end up if they are in the top 10 and they get another pick that that actually could be the best thing for the franchise this year not that that was intentional but yeah he, he's he's up there for me i'm not sure i'm gonna go there yet Lawrence Frank, it's not looking too amazing right now. It is not. Now, some of these sins date back to last trade deadline when they brought, they're like, oh, we got to just bring in more centers. They brought in Plumlee, then they signed Russell Westbrook as well. And Basically, since then, they've just had no shooting on the roster. Some of that, of course, is due to the decline of all the shooting wings that they had due to age. They did fix well, it, it at Harden, and yeah.
3: trading one of them away in Luke and Art. Yeah,
2: although I, I wouldn't consider him a shooting wing. He was just, you know, a, a shooting. shooting guard. Sure. But yeah. I, I mean they could he would actually be a pretty darn good fit with what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Just this continuation of trying to get point guard, trying to get point guard, and okay, you might have more passing now. You might have made Kawhi Leonard's life a little easier. He doesn't have to handle the ball as much. Same thing with Paul George, like his Paul George's passing usage is way down, but you made their lives way harder because they have absolutely no one outside of James Harden, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard who wants to shoot threes on this team norm paul his volume has gone down a ton too and they may be pretty decent on defense like i think there there could maybe be a decent team in here somewhere though Harden also gives them like this massive place to attack at the end of games that didn't exist before and thinking that like the heart like Westbrook and Harden could ever play together was pretty insane or that Westbrook a center and the two wings could play together I thought it was pretty insane they had like a pretty decent start before the Harden acquisition um and you know I I mean I think there's it's possible that you could say that Nick Batum is more valuable to them in some circumstances than James Harden who they traded away obviously Harden's a different player but it just doesn't look like it's working right now they seem to have thrown good money after bad I'm not totally shoveling dirt on the experiment but between just not identifying what they just failed to identify what their biggest need was or they listened to the players on what the biggest need was and the players uh, as usual were wrong on that so I, I think Lawrence Frank has to be in my top three for sure
3: He's just outside of my top three, but I completely agree with your case. Mitch Kupchak, another serious contender here. The another team that didn't use their mid-level, and the Hornets have been burned more by it. And they don't have a luxury tax apocalypse coming. They do have this ownership stuff, but you have to you know you have to actually yeah. like build a competent M-
2: team. Mitch is being saved by the fact that Scoot and a man haven't done anything yet
3: correct and so brandon miller hasn't had a phenomenal start um 56 true shooting um i mean he's had some moments but miller and then they you know they didn't build out a functional roster and you know they don't have enough guard depth and then
2: yeah the the guard depth was inexcusable
3: and again they're trying to be
2: good this year like what are they doing
3: they had the means to do it and and didn't and i mean there was this weirdest thing where they like hadn't signed a single player like their backup point guard, in part because Frank Nolikina got hurt, and Frank Nolikina wouldn't have answered their questions. No. Was Ish Smith, who they signed during the season. Like, it wasn't even like, oh, when training camp, oh crap, we need to get somebody. They brought him in in season. Like, it's just. If
2: they really don't do a good job with their Smith point guards, right? Like, they signed Dennis Smith Jr. last year. They didn't want him back for whatever reason. Maybe there are some internal dynamics there or health, but he's a way better player than anyone that they had. And then they drafted Nick Smith, and uh, Nick Smith wasn't working, so then they had to go to Ish Smith, and like, he just having to rely on him. was Not great. I mean, they suck. And now, obviously, Lamelo's me out for a while, and that's, that's not great. But they, they were trying to compete this year. Uh, And then you can throw in the Miles Bridges thing and like, I don't know how much you want to rate, like not having him on administrative leave as well. Like now on the floor, he actually looks pretty good, but that's that doesn't.
3: Well, and and now he's on a contract that he can just leave after this year. And Jake Fisher, at least reporting that now that that is his intention.
2: Yeah. Some people think it's a done deal. He's going to come back. Others think, no, Uh, I suppose it depends how much they pay him with those bird rights.
3: We'll have to see
2: Messiah Jiri. Uh, I, I mean, I, re- I wish we could include the Purtle trade in this. Unfortunately, we, we cannot. But that that figured heavily in uh, his low ranking in this category last year. Then not being able to re-sign Fred Van Vliet not trading as of yet. OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam not choosing a direction. The new coach just seems yeah. I and it, like I'm glad that there's more ball movement. Like Dennis Schroeder actually has been a, a decent stopgap signing for them, but w- whatever they're, you know, a negative one and a half net rating team. And that's just what they're going to be all season. So what is the point of all this? It, it just seems like they're, uh, they just don't have a plan. They haven't had a plan.
3: Speaking of what is the point of all of this, that seems like the story of the Chicago Bulls.
2: Yeah. And, remember when they were like, oh, man, the Bulls and Raptors, the linchpins of the trade deadline last year. And <laughs> then
3: those those pins just stayed in those grenades. And the I mean, the Bulls didn't do a ton that was bad. I mean, the, the Vucevic contract is bad. Um, three years, 60 million fully guaranteed is wild. But it's more the sins that they that they just didn't assess where they were and move on. And I mean, the Bulls, they've been worse. Though They've won a couple of games recently. They've been worse overall than I anticipated. Like I picked their over. But I still argue very defiantly that they should be trading Caruso. They should be trading DeRozan. They should be trading Levine. And the longer they wait, maybe they end up getting a similar return and maybe they're just so bad that they'll end up getting the pick equity that they were going to get anyway. But it's not helping anybody.
2: Okay. I'm ready to make my selections here. Okay. Masai, Jerry, number one, I thought they had basically the worst off season of anyone. It may looks a little bit better with the shooter signing, but still to just have all of these good players on your team that could really turbocharge your rebuild, could have turbocharged your rebuild and to just be letting their trade value waste well, away.
3: And, and Nate, there's a, there's another reason for this. And I'm actually so I had Masai third, or but I'm moving him up to second because one of the other things they could have gotten was... Players in this draft class that we liked and, uh, you know, like I would rather have draft picks knowing what we know in 23 than in 24. And so now and now that those are off the table functionally to acquire. Even if those guys haven't all looked great so far, we still believe in their talent.
2: Yeah, and I think they may have taken the wrong shooter at thirteen too. Jordan Hawkins looks pretty good. If that was the type of guy you're going for, uh, they they've needed Jordan Hawkins in New Orleans. I, I get that, but like he's looked like he's going to be a very solid movement shooter. We haven't seen as much from Grady Dick yet, but that that's all early. I can I couldn't put Cupjack at one just because I don't know for sure on Brandon Miller. And compared to summer league, like Brandon Miller at least has been better than Scoot and Amin. Entity. those guys haven't played much but when scoot has been out there he's disappointed so uh so yeah i went masai one cup two and lawrence frank three apologies to arturas i really wish we had a first
3: <laughs> i went cup one you jury to arturas three
2: okay we got two more things here actually you no know let's let's save that for another time we can talk about that uh biggest surprise player most disappointing player biggest surprise team most disappointing team i think we did enough work today uh to get to those uh, a little bit later on in the week But hey, we got the quarterfinals coming up tomorrow. That'll be amazing. Join us there on Dunked on Prime. Join us on playback as well for the game. We'll do the fourth quarter if it's close of Indy and Boston and then roll right into maybe the game I'm most excited about of these quarterfinals. New Orleans who has their full complement now at Sacramento uh, and then we'll same thing fourth quarter of the East game New York and Milwaukee on Tuesday and then we'll do the full Lakers Phoenix which will also be pretty darn good I would say so really excited about all those games doing them on playback sadly there is no need to maximize your point differential with intentional fouling any longer but I, I still plan to call the games with the same level of enthusiasm so join us then on playback join us on Dunked on Prime for the wrap up afterwards and thanks so much for listening